Hello, and thank you for tuning in. Welcome to Love What I Love, a podcast where we beg our partner to love something we do, whether it's a movie, TV show, or anything in between. We're your hosts, Andy and Masha, and today we're talking about The Warriors. The Warriors is a 1979 film directed by Walter Hill and written by Hill and David Schraber. Fuck. Citizen wrong. <laughs> David Schaber? I never read it. I never heard anyone say it before. Schaber? Schaber? I think it's Schaber. That's probably not Schaber. <laughs> it could be Schaber. Oh, 25 cents if I'm right. All right. The Warriors is a 1979 film directed by Walter Hill and written by Hill and David Schaber. It tells the tale of a New York City gang called the Warriors as they are framed for the murder of the most respected gang leader in the city. Now with every single gang in New York out to get them, they must fight their way from the top of the Bronx all the way back home to Coney Island. It is adapted from a 1965 novel of the same name by Sol Turek, which in turn is loosely based on an ancient Greek myth called Anabysis. Anabysis? Yeah, I hope that's how you say it. <laughs> so out of all the movies we've done so far, which is a short amount, this one is the one that I think I love the most out of the little batch we've done. Um, I've loved this movie since I saw it as a teenager, and I've seen it countless times. I would say over 20, 30 times at this point in my life. You love this movie. Yeah, it was fantastic, and I was super... I was excited to share it with you with also a little bit of nerves, because it is older, you know, it's not 100% exactly the kind of movie you would watch all the time, so I was kind of nervous going into it with you, but... Um, <laughs> I think we had a really good time. Were you really excited when you first moved to Brooklyn? Because you moved to Bay Ridge, which is very close to Coney Island. So were you like, yeah, I'm like a warrior. Uh, I'm not going to go that far, but uh, <laughs> I definitely made the connection. Yeah, I grew up in Long Island, which is in New York, but very separated from the five boroughs from where this movie takes place. Or four, Staten Island gets no love. Oh, yeah, those Queens, really. It's really just Bronx, Manhattan, and, and, and Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> but either way... Um, so yeah, you know, uh, growing up, um, I actually never really had gone into Brooklyn too many times. Uh, my family's Croatian, as you know, um, and all, for some reason, all Croatian immigrants just love Queens. <laughs> That's where my parents first lived and they lived here. I got aunts and uncles that lived there. I got cousins. I just got like Queens. It's where the Croatian stores are, the Croatian neighborhoods. That's where we went to watch the World Cup when Croatia was yep. almost won the last World Cup. Um, so pretty much my in my mind, like leaving Long Island to see other parts of New York, like to go to the city, was either Manhattan, which happened every once in a while as a kid. Maybe my parents would take me to a show or something, but not that often. Um, and, you know, we did Statue of Liberty and stuff like that when I was real young. Mm -hmm. But mostly it was just going to Queens. Like that was that was where the Croatian church was. So on, on Christmas we'd go there. Um, so I didn't have much connection with Brooklyn, you know, leading up to leading up to me actually moving here back in 2013. Uh, so when did you first watch this movie? It's it's a weird history, and I watched it in a weird order slash way that mo a lot of people probably haven't, unless it's unless you're my age. So, growing up, I think I knew about this movie because I have two older brothers, and it is incredibly referenced in hip-hop. Like, hip-hop artists love this movie. Mm. Wu-Tang Clan, Leaders of the New School. I, I wish I had a list in front of me, but Wikipedia had an whole article. Every, but there's a Warriors Come Out and Play moment in so many hip-hop songs throughout the 90s and 2000s. Um, including, uh, as you know, big fan of Eminem, uh, Eminem, his rap group D12 on their first album, they had a song called Fight Music, and the whole music video was like a 
was an homage to the Warriors. Uh, Ice T plays the Cyrus role, and uh, and and it's just like D12 are the Warriors, and it's really cool. Nobody is wasting nobody. But then look what we have here: D12, the Dirty Dust, led by some white boy named Eminem. They are single-handedly destroying the music industry. Can you dig it? I remember seeing that video and then one of my brothers had to have told me like, you know, they're doing a movie there. And I was just like, no, I didn't know. I didn't know it was a movie. Um, but it was still like, it was the early 2000s. Um, I think it got released on DVD in 2001, but you know, it wasn't like, it wasn't readily displayed in Blockbuster. It was a really old movie. Yeah, 79 you said, right? Yeah, it came on 79. Oh, wow. So it's not like, it's not like I was seeing it everywhere. Like, oh, rent this and go see it. But then I remember in 2005, uh, Rockstar Games, which is the game company that did um, Grand Theft Auto and a million other amazing games, Manhunt, Max Payne, they announced they were going to make a Warriors video game on PlayStation 2. Oh. And I was just like, ooh, that's interesting. And then this game came out and it was goddamn phenomenal. Oh. It is like, most movie games kind of suck. This game was so fucking good. I mean, it was made by the people who at the time were making the best games in the world, the Grand Theft Auto guys. Mm -hmm. um, so I remember just seeing the reviews and seeing how cool this game looked and knowing that it was from a movie I always wanted to see, I bought this game immediately. And it's fucking awesome. The it was even just like the gameplay, everything. And what's cool about it is only the last 20% of the game is the movie The Warriors. And the first 80% is a prequel that they wrote for the game specifically. So it tells the story of the Warriors, of how, like, how they first got started, like how Cleon, you know, created the group, how Cyrus rose to power, That's this, so that. Cool. And then it leads up to the events of the movie, and then the last chunk of the game, you're playing the movie itself. So do you know if the writers of the Warriors or, like, the the author of the book was involved in that prequel like um, storytelling in any way i want to say walter hill uh was somewhat involved i don't think he wrote it like i don't think he was a credited writer but i think he might have been a producer um the writer of the book definitely not i mean he had nothing to do with this movie either they just bought it from they just bought the mm. rights from him um and he thought it, he thought it was okay he didn't even really care for the movie that much so that was my first experience of the story of the warriors was i played the game and it was like a two-player cooperative game yeah so me and my friend uh mike tram played it constantly <laughs> like we would always you could just Pick up a second controller, jump in, jump out. Was it kind of like the Tony Hawk game where there were a lot of hip-hop songs in the soundtrack of the game just because you no, said... No, they really kept with the 1979 vibe. I and see. like, yes, hip-hop was around in 1979, but it wasn't quite like... Okay, I'm just curious. Yeah, yeah. No, they, they really painstakingly tried to like make it like the era and use the style of music that was in it. Because there's no hip-hop in the movie, so it would have yeah. been, been weird. Cool. Um, well, anyway, so I played the whole game from beginning to end before seeing the movie. So I had this like weird perception of this story where the movie part was only like this little thing at the end and there was this whole grand thing. It was actually, from what I remember, pretty well written. I haven't played it since 2005, so. PlayStation 2? Yeah, yeah. And like the thing They've with... got to release a Switch version. <sighs> I would buy it immediately. <laughs> it's, it's crazy just like with these licensed games, it's a lot harder to re-release them because there's so much rights involved. Mm. It's, if, it was an, uh, if it was their own property, then yeah, like Grand Theft Auto comes out on every system because they own it, so... Who knows if we'll ever get a re-release, but I'd be there day one. So, and then after I played the game and loved it, that's when, uh, at the same time, it coincided with the game, they released the special edition DVD, which is the one that I have and the one that we watched, mm -hmm. which is um, the first time it was ever released with tons of special features that they shot specifically for the DVD. And it's also the director's cut, which is what we watched, So, and we'll get into that as we go on, because um, it is different than the original movie, slightly. Mm -hmm. um, 
I kind of think it's a little bit better, but uh, so I actually prefer this director's cut. So yeah, that was like kind of my first experience. So then I finally watched the movie and then honestly, it could have been terrible. And I think the amount that I love that game, it would have colored the, like I would have just thought I loved the movie. So yeah, then I saw the movie, immediately fell in love with it. One of my best friends, Trevor at the time, he was my other friend who was just as into it as I was. Like me and him loved the Warriors. And we got our other friends to be into it too, but they weren't like, they were just like, yeah, yeah. Well, they played along to kind of like make us feel better. <laughs> so like, I remember every year I wanted me and my group of friends to all be the Warriors for Halloween. <sighs> But they didn't make any Halloween costumes for the Warriors. They only had, like, movie replicas you could buy. So it would have been, like, 150 bucks for the vest. Uh. And it was just too much of an investment for a 16-year-old to be doing. Like, you know, so that never happened. But I remember we always wanted to be the Warriors for Halloween. And the silliest thing we ever did was... And actually my first time, I think, ever going to Brooklyn cognizantly. Maybe I went as a kid and I don't remember. But we were 16... And there's a promotional still from this movie of all the warriors standing on the boardwalk and behind them is a spray painted like warriors tag. Yeah. And we saw that online. This is like 2006. So yes, obviously internet's bumping, but it's not, it's still not the internet we have today where you could fucking learn anything about anything. All we had was a couple of stills. Nobody was writing about this movie. Nobody was this and that. But we saw that still and for some reason it was just like engraved in our head that we were like, oh, that's, that tag is still there. Like. That's like a famous Warriors tag in Coney Island. Why wouldn't it be there? So like one weekend, me and Trevor and then our other friend, uh, Mike, we did want to go see the Warriors tag that for some reason we thought existed, even though I don't know if it did. <laughs> um, but also that was the year I remember they announced that the Cyclone was finally going to close down in Brooklyn. You know, the oldest uh, roller coaster ever, basically. Yeah. Um, they, they made an announcement saying, hey, because it's unsafe, it's deteriorating, we're going to be closing this down soon. So... If you ever wanted to see it, now's the time to see it. So that was that was our main reason for going, actually. We were like, let's go to Coney Island. You know, we just got to that age where our parents were letting us, like, take the train to the city alone, you know what I mean? Um, so we were, like, 16, 17. We went out there to ride, the, um, to ride the Cyclone, which was mad fun. Ironically, it is now 13 years later. Cyclone is still going strong yeah. with no plans on closing. 100 plus years, yeah, I think. Yeah, me, you and I went there for the 100th anniversary. Yeah. Um, still then, feel like I'm risking my life. Yeah, but then I remember while we were there, we were just determined. We we're like, we're gonna find this Warriors tag and get a photo, like a picture in front of it. And you know, we had cell phones, but it was pre iPhone. Nobody had a smartphone. You didn't have internet on your phone, so you couldn't just start looking stuff up. You couldn't go on Reddit and be like, "Is there a Warriors tag?" So we were just determined. So we just started walking up and down the boardwalk for like an hour. I remember we were stopping random people. We were talking about it as if, like, this movie was still on everyone's mind and, like, the cultural zeitgeist. And we were just like, oh, if you're from Coney Island, you're going to know everything about the Warriors because it's your movie. So we just started asking random people, like, hey, do you know where the Warriors tag is? Everybody looked at us like we had three heads. Nobody had any fucking idea wow. what we were talking about. They were just like, what? What? Like, the basketball team? Like, what are you talking about? The Warriors? Who are the Warriors? And eventually we just gave up. <laughs> just left. And I've never ever once had saw any account that that tag from that photo was still up. It probably got painted over, like, the next year. Like, I don't know why I thought it would have been, like, some cultural landmark of Coney Aww. Island. That, like, the Warriors thing. There has be to that. be some sort of Warriors <laughs> landmark down there. Uh, maybe. I feel like, don't they do, like, a yearly Warriors thing? Or, oh no, was it for the anniversary of the Warriors? It wasn't even for the anniversary, it was just in 2015, they decided to, uh, get the cast to, uh, kind of go down there and have, like, a uh, Warriors day, where they, like, signed autographs and people came. That's cool. Um, and there's actually a lot of cool stuff that did grow out of this movie that we could talk about a little bit later, um, that happens in Coney Island, but... That was just my little individual story of loving the Warriors and, Aww. like, going up and down as a 16-year-old in Coney Island. Like, hey, do you guys know where the Warriors is? 
That's so cool. Cause I, as many things that I love, I don't recall at this moment, like actually seeking out something like that with my friends. Yeah. That's so cool. Uh, yeah. I don't have many stories like that. Like a lot of people will be like, Oh, I loved Halloween. So I went to the house, they shot it in and filmed the front. Like I've never done anything like that before, mm -hmm. but also as much things that take place in New York, a lot of it isn't shot on location here. So like, it's hard to go to like, Oh, that's where Spider-Man's house was because right. that was not in Queens. Like that was somewhere else. You know what I mean? Oh my God. So the fact that this was like truly a New York movie, hundred percent shot on location in New York, everywhere they were. So like, it just felt like, you know, it's, it was like, Oh, I could, I could, I'm there. Like, you know what right. I mean? But yeah, so that, that was my brief history of the Warriors. <laughs> and then just for years and years, I just watched it over and over again. Every time I met a new friend that hadn't seen it, we had to watch it, bought the soundtrack. I fucking know every song, even the ones without words. I could just like, I was, yeah so I, I very much love this movie and i can't wait to get into it with you wow i cannot believe how much like i feel like you've expressed how much you love it but like now it's like you're spilling it all over the floor <laughs> you're like this is actually my favorite movie of all time it's not my favorite movie of all time Top but five. um uh but it's hard to express stuff when you haven't seen it yet because you know like i could yeah i could describe it to you but i'd rather you see it fresh and then we talk about it as opposed to me like ruining all the best moments and all the best like yeah. surprises you know what i mean true so yeah usually if you haven't seen a movie and i think we, we might watch it i usually tone down my thoughts of it until afterwards and then i go like is that amazing <laughs> um but yeah so that was my little thing um Hilarious. you do you have any experience with this movie did you know what this movie was have you heard of it or anything before i started talking about it no but it did give me the outsiders vibe like uh, i knew it was about like it had to be about like a group of guys somehow yeah but, like i didn't know what the story was yeah yeah wow i actually never made that connection before yeah it does have a lot of outsiders vibes and i don't know when the outsiders the book was written i forget exactly but i know the movie came out either 82 or 84 somewhere around there mm -hmm. So it was definitely post-Warriors, uh, so I, I wonder if, like, visually they kind of got some ideas of how to film it, you know, like, by watching the Warriors. I don't know, I've never... Francis Ford Coppola made that, and he made The Godfather before the Warriors, so uh -huh. for all I know, he wasn't looking at a Walter Hill <laughs> film on how to get inspiration. He's fucking Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe not, but yeah, that is interesting, like... I don't know, it just seems like the same, like, audience. Obviously, you love both films. Yeah. So um, I definitely like The Outsiders, the book, more than I like the movie. Mm. I just like the movie for the, the amount of stars that were in it before they were stars. Any movie that does that where they just catch lightning in a bottle, yeah. where like you watch it and you're like, how are... Like Freaks and Geeks, you watch that and you were like, eight out of these ten people are famous as fuck right now. I don't know how And nobody knew that. that in 1999 when they showed up. You know, like, yeah. you know, Dazed and Confused is similar. So many movies. Well, that's... I'm, I'm a little surprised that that didn't happen with this film because I thought the acting was very good. Like, I just... It just felt authentic all throughout. Oh, Every nice. single person very on cool. screen. Um, we'll get into when we get into critical receptions, but actually one of the biggest... Uh, things that critics hated about it was they thought like the dialogue and the acting was very stilted so it was interesting you thought I... that you hate critics <laughs> <laughs> i don't agree with anything any critics say <sighs> mm. um i'm um, still i am basically boycotting rotten tomatoes <laughs> i'm still trying to explain to you how that doesn't make any sense because rotten tomatoes no. doesn't make any decisions i on their know own. i know you i'm should just be boycotting film critics in general i'm just joking around it's just funny because it doesn't make sense to yeah it's pretty that. hilarious to, to just make them the villain even though <laughs> yeah what and it's because you know they gave sister act to 14 percent where it's clearly like one of the best movies ever 
again, anyway, didn't give Sister Act anything. It's fine. I digress. I know. I know. I understand it. I just like um, not making sense. All right. So yeah, you had uh, like outsiders vibes. Yeah. Um, obviously, Coney Island themed. Uh, we go to Coney Island all the time, yes. so I see like warrior stuff all the time. But I didn't, again, I don't, I didn't know anything about it. Yeah, we actually have, um, one time you and I went to Coney Island and there was a... We got a towel, right? No, maybe we got a towel. There's a photo we took of a, of a graffiti wall of the characters. Yeah. Because there was like a, like an art show. Everyone had like a a wall that they could spray on. Not everyone, the artist did. Mm -hmm. And one of them had a bunch of warriors. It's in my phone. Yeah, we have a photo of it. But I remember trying to explain to you. I'm like, yeah, it's a movie about these guys who live here and that. And you were like, cool. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, Yeah. But other than that, honestly, nothing. Cool. So yeah, you basically knew it was Coney Island and about a group of dudes. Yes. (laughs) Fair enough. And that maybe there was tragedy involved. (laughs) <laughs> now, did you know of any of, like, the many classic lines that have come through this? Have you ever heard anyone say, warriors come out and play? No. What? Oh, my God. Like, I knew that way before I knew what the warriors I can't was. wait till we get to that part and oh. all about that guy. Cause, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Old, old Dirty Bastard does it on the first Wu-Tang album. Oh, really? Oh, it's great. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, I think... Uh, let's jump into it. We're going to avoid any major spoilers, so we're just going to focus on the kind of the initial setup. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much the inciting incident of the gang leader getting killed. So yeah, let's jump right into uh, kind of just some general overall thoughts of the movie and how you felt about it. First of all, can we talk about the world of this movie? Yes. Yes. It's yes. So That's a great place to start. Agreed. What are your thoughts? And for me, and maybe you have a different opinion but it just felt like there were two different worlds happening in one movie there's a world that these gangs live in yeah and then there's the world that everybody else is living in like regular people taking the subway having their normal life uh yeah i do think you're right but i also i like that the way like the gang world is portrayed in this it looks like it, like it still like fits in that world to me it does like it looks like it's just, it just looks like it's a different path that you could take in life it's like like, like you know what i mean where like, they portray gang life in a very unique way, which is not realistic in any way, shape, or form. They shut away from a lot of, in my opinion, like, the truly scary stuff of, like, gang life in New York City of that time. And kind of heighten a lot of it and stylize a lot of it to make it, like, pretty palatable. Mm-hmm. When Walter Hill was making this, he read the book. The book is a lot more um, violent, like, gritty, realistic, and, like, self-reflective than the movie is. Um, it's actually pretty interesting. I didn't read the book, um, and I actually want to give a shout out to my source because I use it all the time on YouTube. It's fantastic. There's a site, uh, a channel called Cinefix, and they do a series called What's the Difference, where in a very fun and humorous way, in about 8 to 12 minutes, they'll compare the differences between a literary version and a movie adaptation of something. Mm. It's awesome. They're super fun over there. So I watched their episode on The Warriors in preparation for this instead of reading the entire book, <laughs> and they talked about the difference. But yeah, so the book, it's a lot more like a commentary on gang life and like how you can't escape it and the horrors that that brings. And it's it's not a redemptive tale in any way. And like the main characters themselves in it, uh, they're not called the Warriors in the book. The book's called the Warriors, but that's just a general term for gang members. Okay. They're called the Coney Island Dominators in the book. I know, mm. lame. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they're like, there's nothing... Uh, redeemable about them like they'll they just murder random people like 
they rape women like regularly just for no reason. Interesting. Um, and so a lot of that got retooled into the movie, uh, in the movie to make it just easier to kind <laughs> of swallow <laughs> in a way. Right. And also Walter Hill, he was really interested in a lot of what the book was doing, and he loved the, the idea of like this group that that is against all odds has to survive this horrible night. Mm -hmm. But he wanted to make that the focus of the movie and not make the, this big social commentary on gang life. And a lot of other movies were doing that anyway, some good, some bad. Um, but he, he just didn't want to be another movie that was like preaching about like, why well, you shouldn't do this and you should all go to college. And right. he, he just thought there's, there was enough of that. And he wanted to make what he saw as a comic book movie. Yeah. Um, Very successful, I think. Yeah. In the, in the book, The Warriors, um, it is also loosely based on this ancient Greek myth. Um, it's about a group of 10,000 soldiers that were in a, uh, in a foreign country, where, and everyone in the country is trying to kill them, and they have to make it back to their country. Wow. So it's just a much grander... Ver this is nine guys trying to make it through New York City. That was 10,000 guys trying to make it through ancient Greece. Yeah. And then in the book, it's a very loose adaptation of that. It takes the general idea for the inciting plot, but he just used that to tell a story about gang life and gang violence and like what that means. And the way he does it in the book is one of the characters is reading a comic book adaptation of the Greek myth. So throughout the book, uh -huh. it's he's off, he's like reading and like it's paralleling what's happening to them. Walter Hill um, kind of streamlined it with this movie. And I didn't hear him say this specifically, but in my opinion, it, it looks like he attempted to adapt like the comic book version of this story. Mm -hmm. So he stripped it down to its roots. It's about survival. And... And then through that, he created this crazy landscape of, like, Gang New York that is completely unrealistic, but I find so fascinating, and I just want to watch and, like, live and meet all these people, yeah. like, so much. Like, it's so heightened and crazy. Oh. Yeah. I'm just thinking, like, the costume design and, like, concepting all of the different gangs, their looks and their thing. Yeah. Man, that was a lot of work. And that, yeah, that fell down on the costume designer. Um, she pretty much almost single-handedly, like, did them all ourselves. Walter Hill basically gave her a list of all the gang names that he made up. Wow. So he was just like, here are the gangs, and then she just came back with drawings. And, you know, that's why everybody pops so visually colorful. Because um, he, he kept saying, like, comic book sensibility is the only way to do this story. Like, we have to treat it truly like a comic book. We're not going for any kind of realism. We're not, we're going for style. We're going for, for you know, big colors, over-the-top acting, over-the-top characters. And, yeah. and, um, oh, some of them were in over the top. <laughs> yeah. And, and like big visual set pieces, like in the way when, when you watch, like, if you read a comic book and a character gets into a fight, it's only, it's, it's usually very short because it's kind of, you know, you don't want to watch too many action comics, but it's usually like a big, a big punch that sends someone flying or, you know, like a giant throw or someone flies through the air, as opposed to in real life where fighting is a lot of just like grappling on top of each other and it doesn't look pretty. Um, so that's why, like, the fights in this were very, like, staged mm -hmm. and, like, perfectly choreographed and, like, drawn out like comic books because he wanted it, he wanted you to, like, feel the hits as if the words, like, pow, were coming on the screen. Yeah. The way, yeah. like, Batman would fight henchmen and shit like I that. I felt every single bit in this movie, like, that the characters that the Warriors were feeling, every time they ran, yeah. even the journey from, like, traveling from the Bronx to Brooklyn to mm -hmm. Coney Island. Oh my god, I felt that. I was yeah. like, wow, that's a long journey. I know. As yeah. a New Yorker. Yeah, if you're not from New York and like it's it's kind of hard to picture it, but like even if you just took the subway, it would take two hours. Oh my god. And it's crazy because anywhere else, like that distance mile-wise is like nothing. Yeah, I looked it up, it's like 30 miles. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they kind of exaggerated it in the movie. Yeah, like I think they, they said 
Yeah, yeah. I think they might have said 100. <laughs> oh, but in New York, man, to travel that distance, yeah. car, subway, like... It's yeah, and then add on top of that, every time you're on the street, you are sticking out because you're wearing your gang colors and every uh, gang is instructed to get you. Yeah. But what did you think of, like, the initial premise? Like, did you know that it was going to be about Cyrus getting shot and then them having to escape? Or did you not even know that? I didn't know that. Okay. I didn't know anything. So, like, what were your thoughts when you saw that opening speech? Because the, the film opens with them going to this big rally in the Bronx where nine delegates from every gang mm -hmm. are showing up. And they, they say there's over 100 gangs there, so that's already, what, 900 people? Mm -hmm. um, they all show up. There's a truce that no gang will hurt each other and nobody's allowed to bring any weapons, mm -hmm. which is a great setup because that leaves our heroes with nothing to defend themselves for the whole movie, yes. which is awesome. And then Cyrus gives this big speech about how if they just ceased the gang violence in New York and stopped fighting each other, fighting over little pieces of turf, that they could literally, they outnumber the cops 10 to 1. They yep. could they could take over New York one borough at a time. Can you count, suckers? Yeah, I thought the movie was going to be about that. I didn't think that he was, Cyrus would actually get shot. Yeah, yeah. But it didn't surprise me once he did get shot. Because it's like, it could go either way. Yeah. It would be an interesting story, whichever way it went. Yeah, and I like that um, th that setup alone, I think, is enough to get you, like, excited. You know what I mean? Like, I would watch that movie, too. You know yeah. what I mean? About this great gang leader who unites all the gangs in New York. To... Uh. Can we talk about Cyrus? Yeah, I love Cyrus. <laughs> First of all, did The Rock get a lot of his sensibilities <laughs> from Cyrus? Uh, I've never read that, but probably. Yeah. <laughs> it just gave me Rock vibes for Can some reason. Can you count suckers? <laughs> There's not a line that he has that isn't oh, perfection. He just like, seemed like a wrestler to me. Like, and that's what I mean by like over the top. Like he is like a comic book character. Like you know what I mean? Like he's just and like and I love that leading up to it you only get like these little bits of conversation like who do you think Cyrus is like I heard he's the one like when like coaches even says like he's magic he's just pure magic and like you know so it's like you build him up as this mythical figure mm -hmm. and then you don't even know how he did it but he seemingly achieved the impossible by getting all these gangs together yeah like think about that because he has to be to get respected by all those gangs different gangs respect different things some respect violence some respect strength some respect you know so yeah. like he somehow orchestrated this world. I think he had the numbers too. <laughs> yeah, and he had, well, he also had the biggest gang in New York in yeah. terms of like physical numbers, the riffs. And yeah, so I, I love, I could watch his speech all the time. I mean, <laughs> literally, it's so. What's the one that you like? Can you dig it? Yeah, that I like. That's so same. It's literally on the cover of the DVD. Can you dig it? <laughs> Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? If you smell... What did I say yesterday? Do you smell? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you smell? But <laughs> oh, I just love... We're fighting over turf. A little bitty piece of turf. <laughs> He's so good. But he did bring up an interesting concept. Like, they could just take over. They Yeah, like you said, they do have the numbers. Yeah. And I was like, whoa. It is funny, though. Like, numbers. as a teenager, I remember being like, my mind was blown by that. And then, like, watching it now. And I was like, they'd send in the National Guard. <laughs> like, like this, you're not going to take over New York. Like, like if you just started fucking up cops on that level, the army would be there in a second, murdering all these minorities. That's true. Um, one other thing uh, to get back, um, just, like, to the little differences between the book and this. Mm -hmm. um, in the book, the Coney Island Dominators, they're an entirely black and Hispanic gang. 
And uh, Walter Hill originally was like, yeah, I'm, I, he was going to do that too. Like, he just didn't even think of it another way, but the studio just would not allow it. They were like, no, you, we, we can't just have, we're not going to be able to sell this movie for commercial reasons. Um, but the silver lining was, I mean, and Walter Hill even said in an interview where he does think that was, their reasoning was bad, but it ended up helping the film for the better because he ended up, that was really when he, that was his first decision to not make it a realistic movie and to go the comic book route. Because he was like, I just don't see how this could all make sense. And one of the things I really love about the movie is that it seems to it seems to exist in this crazy New York City where like race doesn't mean anything. Mm. Like never once is it brought up by any character. Like all the gangs seem to be mixed interracially. Like for the most part, I mean, there's a million gangs, so some aren't. But um, like you know, in the Warriors themselves, like there's it's there's the black guy's the leader, and then their second in command is a white. But like it's never yeah. once brought up by anybody, not anyone who hates them, not anyone who likes them, and um, and then even like the Turnbull ACs, they were the gang that chases them in the car, the the first gang that yes. chases them. Like they literally call them skinheads, and the only reason they call them that is because they're all bald. Because yeah. there's plenty of black guys. Like like you hear the word skinheads, you think like racist white dudes, and. Um, so, I don't know, I just thought that was, like, a really cool, like, that stupid studio note of, like, we can't sell a movie with only black people and Hispanics mm -hmm. ended up turning this movie into something really unique yeah. that a lot of movies weren't doing at the time. Yeah, I think that actually helped Walter. You said he didn't want to make any political statements. Like, yeah. I feel like having the gangs be, like, Hispanic, black, white would have... Exactly. Unintentionally Yeah, done yeah, that. like, he truly, like... Because, I mean, I look at these gang members and I don't look at like oh my god hardened criminals from new york like i'm thinking of like henchmen from the 1960s batman show mm -hmm. like the way they all dress the same and then the way they have these flamboyant outfits and i don't know why i was hoping they'd break into song i was like west side story -esque? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> i mean it is in a sense like um i do think like the fighting in a sense is is kind of musical-esque mm -hmm. um and he said like the stunt coordinator one of the things, they had no money making this movie. It was super low budget because the studio just did not think it was going to be good. They were like, what is this? What? I no. don't believe yeah. that. Yeah. Just because of the subway scenes, how the hell did they do those scenes on they, a low budget? I mean, yeah, you you just work with New York. Like, they um, they worked with the MTA and they got permission. Um, I think it might have been one of the first movies to shoot on a moving subway train. Because usually when you film in New York, there's uh, there's one station, I think it's the Hoyt Shermermorn station, mm -hmm. where there's a dead track, and that's where all the movies are filmed. Oh. Because they can put a train on that track, go up and down without fucking with traffic and doing anything. So usually when you see a live subway scene, it's yeah. there. But this was the first time they were like, we need a lot of stations, we need to show that there are these stations, and we need to be filming on the train as well. Right. So they got a lot of rights. Um, cool. I have so many fun production facts about this movie, like of like the difficulties of shooting in New York um, that will sprinkle in throughout. They had to make a lot of creative decisions with this movie because of how low the budget was and how they didn't have um, just like any, the studio didn't really care about this movie. They didn't have a lot of help. And also like coincidentally, they said that summer, five other movies were also filming on location in New York. Mm -hmm. So even just as simple as crewing this movie was incredibly difficult. Wow. Because it was of all of the six movies being made, this was the lowest tier. Like it was the lowest budget, the one no one ever heard of, the one no one had any faith in. So they couldn't even get like a lot of lighting people. They could they couldn't get stunt guys. Um, and uh, so one of the things that they did was the stunt coordinator actually made all the actors go to like a fight school, and every single stunt is done by the actors themselves. There are no stunt doubles for any of them. Cool. And the only really time a stunt double was used was uh, when Cyrus got shot and fell off the... the... Spoiler! 
No, that's not the, that's the inciting incident. I literally said it when the <laughs> when the main gang leader I know. gets killed. <laughs> Sorry, that ah. was my instinct. You literally said I didn't know he was going to get shot like ten minutes ago. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a spoiler when it's the inciting incident. <laughs> when Cyrus gets shot and falls off the his little pedestal, the thing he's standing on that, yeah. that he's talking to, and um, with that. They wouldn't allow the stunt guy to hire anybody that wasn't local to New York because it cost too much money. And there were only two black stunt people in New York at the time, like working like in the industry. Wow. And neither of them wanted to do it. Or for I don't know if he said why, either money or something. They they just they just didn't want to do it. So literally the stunt coordinator himself had to put on a wig and they had to shoot it from behind and he had to do it. That's crazy. And uh and all this crazy stuff. So they just have to get real creative with a lot of things like that. And I think the fact that they there aren't any stunt doubles, like, it's why they always get to linger on the slow motion when you see these guys flying through the air. And, like, yeah. it was difficult as hell for the actors. All of them got hurt. Like, it was just, like, rough. They, had, they filmed only overnights. Um, like, it was, like, oh my God, a, it was I didn't a think grueling about that. schedule of just... And, and, like, they even, like, the actor played coaches in one interview. He was like, yeah. He's like, how many thoughtful conversations do we have in the movie? We're running and we're fighting. Like, <laughs> like he's like every he's like every night we either had a full night of sprinting or a full night of fighting. Like those were the those Man, were. You got to be in shape to be in this movie. Yeah, they all were. They, they all were pretty so cut. So you're saying they all they had to cast everyone locally in New York? No, not the cast. Well, I'm just thinking of all the extras that they had. Yeah, so those were, like, almost all real gang members. Um, they couldn't... Is this New York's version of The Wire? <laughs> kind of. They just, like, yeah, um, to get the authenticity and everything, they, like, a lot of those people... When, when you would get the nice close-up shots, those would usually be actors, but in the big wide shots, those are real gang members. And also peppered in were tons and tons and tons of uh, off-duty police officers to keep the peace. That is hilarious because, in a sense, the movie was like no weapons. Yeah. You know, like they were the ones bringing the game. Like, yeah, they were. They kind of created a real life version of the Cyrus thing. That's insane. Yeah, and it's interesting that that opening, like that opening scene, is easily the biggest, most explosive part of the entire movie. And most movies would save that for the end. So, like to start your movie that way, I thought was like pretty interesting. But like, you kind of have to to get Just... the, to get it going. Oh man. My blood pressure was high from the <laughs> from that scene to the end. It was just a roller coaster. All right, and there's so much to talk about with so many individual moments uh, that I, I just got to get into spoilers. I mean, the inciting incident is what it is. Cyrus gets shot. It's fucking crazy. And then it just starts the movie, which is the Warriors have to get home to Coney Island. Yeah. All right, so let's just get into spoilers because I want to talk about everything in this movie. I feel like we're going to stay somewhat chronological and talk about the end at the end. But, I agree. Um, yeah, just like, where do you want to begin? Like, what? Well, what I thought was interesting, I liked how, um, you know, once you figure out that the warrior, the warriors are basically framed for murdering Cyrus. Yes. Um, how that, that large gang puts a hit out for the warriors. Uh -huh. It's like all these gangs are listening to this one radio station. Yes, yeah. Where this lady puts out, like... You know, she plays a song basically signaling to all the gang members that there's a hit out for the Warriors and they're on their way home. What did you think of the, uh, like, the, the DJ, like, the, the way that that character kind of served, like, as both, like, a narrator and yes. as just, like, like a, a sweet way to, like, keep the audience up to date of, like, where they are, like, how far they are, how much farther they have to go? You're going to laugh at this? Uh-huh. I, I loved it. Yeah. That's my answer. But I have seen it before. And it was used in Beauty Shop. 
kind of saw Beauty Shop. So I was like, oh, wow, I wonder if the makers of Beauty Shop were fans of the Warriors. Oh, probably. <laughs> Hi, Atlanta. If you want to get your crop dusted, your do did, or your flip whipped, jump your butt in the hoopty, get on down to Gina's hair salon in the Swats, and let them hook you up with some of Gina's famous hair crack conditions. Yeah, I thought it was such a cool way to put it all together. And also a good excuse to have a lot of the... Like, pretty much in the movie, there's the movie's score, which is, like, the original music composed for the scenes. But anytime there's a licensed song in the movie, it's because she plays it on the radio. Mm -hmm. And I like that it, like, adds, like, a nice little, like, consistency to that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I thought that actress I was great. I love the the choice to only show her from extreme close-ups. All you see is her lips on the yeah. microphone. And she had, like, very a very prominent, like, mouth and, yes. like, lips that, like, you're not going to forget. Her yeah. voice is very prominent and the shape... And um, and you didn't need to know what she looked like, right? Because the most important thing was what the she information. Was saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, apparently, when the actress first saw the movie, she had no idea that they were going to use just a shot of her close up because they shot everything. You know, uh. they, they didn't know, and uh, so she was surprised. And she said, like, her initial reaction was she was pretty like upset at first because she was like, I thought I was going to like be in the movie, <laughs> but like over the years, she realized like how iconic like that image of her mouth and her voices and she's like it was perfect like yeah. like it would have just been any other movie if they just shot me sitting at the desk like yeah like it truly and then again that's just like their comic panels come to life like that's that looks like the way you would draw that like you know yeah. just like just the mouth and like you know in like a unique shape so you'd remember you'd remember it yeah. um i thought that was really cool yeah. Um, so real quick, just so you know, um, in this version that we watched, this director's cut, mm -hmm. there was never the comic book transitions in the original movie. Um, what? Yeah, all the comic book transitions. There was nothing in the beginning comparing it to the Greek uh, warriors, and there was no narration in the beginning, but all that was in the script. So Walter Hill wrote the movie and truly intended to make it with all those things in it. You're telling me that the released version doesn't have the comic book transitions? No, not at all. That's insane. Just, I thought those cuts. were like, I don't know, I just, it's so lovely. I know, I love it. And it's weird because... Um, I, I'd be curious to see it without those transitions. I'm, I'm genuinely not the biggest fan of like, oh, we altered the movie later to make it, you know, like George Lucas is notorious for doing that with Star Wars where he's like, oh, technology's better, so now I'm going to remake, I'm going to put in new technology in my old movie so it looks better i kind of hate that usually i think that's a bad idea like I, I kind of um peter jackson once said in an interview that like they ever asked him when he was making the hobbits if he would ever go back and re-release lord of the rings with this new technology so it looks better and he was like no absolutely not he's like filmmaking is a snapshot of that moment in time and you're not only telling a story but you're showcasing what film was capable of the year it came out like of what, like you know, mm -hmm. just you're you're taking a slice of time. Yeah. So just time capsule. Yeah. So he's like, I made Lord of the Rings in two thousand one. The way I had to do it in two thousand one because I didn't have other options in terms of technology. So that's my movie. Right. I respect the hell out of that. I love it. I don't think anyone should alter movies. The only reason I think it, I I accept it in this and I think it works is because Walter Hill, true, the original script, all that's written in there. It started with that narration. It was actually supposed to be Orson Welles who did that narration. Um, wow. Yeah, like that was the, and they even like had him on contract. The studio actually had to pay him to not do it because he was, like uh, it was already. Do you it, know why he dropped out? The studio didn't want to do it. Oh. Um, the studio they thought it was a weird framing device. Like they wanted to sell it as like this is like a cool gang picture, so they didn't want it to be like interesting. They thought the Greek myth thing would throw people off, and then also what we saw were comic transitions done by a computer in two thousand five. That would have been way costlier to do in 1979 oh, and it would have looked completely different 
there probably wouldn't have been motion in it. It probably would have been hand-drawn. Like, you know what I mean? So they yeah. never made it to the phase of actually creating those images. So we are seeing it, like, we're not truly seeing it the way it would have looked. But it was always his intention to do it that way. And the studio were just like, it's too expensive. It's too weird. Like, they just truly put their foot down and said, you cannot do this. It's so interesting how when a studio says no, like, it sucks at the time. But, like, then you get a beautiful result yeah like yeah so it wasn't until 2005 that when they were making the dvd they they offered him the chance to go back and, and do it and he even says on the intro to the dvd he's like i usually hate this kind of stuff and like i don't want film to pe i don't want this to be a trend or anything but like this is how i wanted it to be and he's like and i truly understand the fans of the movie think this new version is stupid they don't like this that's fine and while you can't get the original on DVD anymore, if you go to like Amazon to rent it, you can choose to watch the original or the new one, I which just I, I think know, is great. That's awesome. Yeah. I just want to know uh, what it looks like, the transitions. I, I just don't scenes. think there's transitions. I think it just cuts like a trend, like a traditional that's movie. Lame. Yeah, like it's so. In this one case, I actually do prefer the director's cut. Um, and the fact that there's all this documented proof to show that, like, that was the plan from the... It wasn't like he had this idea later. We're like, wouldn't it be cool if I added comic books to my movie? Yeah. Like, he always wanted to make a comic book movie, and he always wanted to use comic book transitions. It's just, how do you sell that in 1979? Right. You know, especially with no money. Like, they would have to hire animators and all that. Yeah. Um, can we talk about Ratface? Ooh, Luther. <laughs> I hate him. <laughs> I hate him so much. I hate his face. I'm sorry to the actor, but he just like has a really good face. Yeah, to hate. he's got he's got a rat face. <laughs> oh my god, I hated him so much. Yeah, he, was he was so creepy. He was such a slimy villain, and like, and I love the choice of making him like pure evil. Yeah, you know, like they didn't bother trying to like show his actions. They were just like he's just like the epitome of scum. Yeah, he didn't want to take Cyrus's place. He just likes chaos. No. Yeah, he didn't even necessarily hate Cyrus's plan. Like you know, he just was like he was just like wouldn't this be like. I could kill this guy right now and get away with it. So yeah. I'm gonna do it. Yeah. Um, oh, and yeah. In case for some reason you are unaware, Ratface is the one who. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he's the guy who actually brings the gun to the meeting and shoots Cyrus and ends up framing the warriors. So he's kind of our antagonist throughout the movie. Um, and then throughout it, he and his buddies are kind of hoping the warriors get taken out so that way the rifts don't learn the, like the truth about who killed Cyrus. Right. So they're looking for the warriors while simultaneously kind of just like hoping some other gang takes them out at some point. Yeah. I think slimy is the perfect word for that character. Yeah. He seemed like the craziest guy in his gang. Yeah. He was the leader of it, right? I think so. And which I also found interesting, um, and it brings to a broader point I want to make about the movie is he's not terribly like big or like scary looking. And I kind of like that even with the warriors themselves, like they're all like cut dudes, but they're not like overly tough looking guys it's not like when you watch predator and everyone has like a 12 inch bicep mm -hmm. and like it looks like they're just like pumping iron all day and night like a lot of them just kind of look like normal dudes that was one thought that i had when i was watching this and i think was a reason why i was so scared for them because they looked like regular dudes i didn't necessarily think they knew how to fight like oh, i just really? thought that they were like yeah we're a gang but like i thought they were more posers Oh, interesting. At first. So that's why I was so scared for them when they were getting chased down by these different things. Um, no, that's interesting. That's cool. And one thing, um, the movie doesn't go into this too much. You kind of have to pick it up by visual cues because it's uh, it was in a deleted scene. But the idea is by sending nine delegates, you're actually, like, you're not sending nine fighters. You're sending people with different strengths to represent your gang. Mm. So the Warriors themselves is a gang of, like, 200 people. 
It's just these are the nine that got chosen to go to this meeting. Oh. And that's why Rembrandt is there. He's the weak one who never fights because he's not a fighter, but he's the only one who, who spray paints. His job is to get the name the warriors out there. Oh. So they bring him so that way they can spray warriors everywhere. That way people know the warriors were there. Um, that's so interesting. Yeah, there's actually a deleted scene where Cleon, the leader, goes down the line and tells everyone what their job is while they're there. And some are kind of nonsense, like Snow, um, he's the black guy who's not Cochise. Cochise is the one who you kind of liked with the afro. Yes. You know, remember that was the other black guy who didn't yes. say much? That was Snow. Like, he was the music man because he had the boombox. So, huh. like, just in case they want to listen to music, he took care of that. That's hilarious. Um, <laughs> Fox, who's the one who ends up getting killed by the train, he's the scout man. So that's why when they're at the cemetery, he finds out where the train is. Like, they all uh, have, because he knows New York better than the rest of them. Interesting. So they all have their own duties, which, and Cochise and, are you laughing because I said duties? <laughs> we can't do a podcast if you're going to laugh at duties. <laughs> all right, podcast is canceled, everybody. It was a good run that we had it. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. What am I, I feel like your spirit has taken You made five poop jokes tonight, today. today, and it is 1.45 p.m. <laughs> So Cochise and Ajax were actually the two that were the muscle. Like, they were the ones who were brought to do the fighting. Cochi. Cochise. He was the black guy with the afro. Okay. Like, that's kind of why they didn't necessarily all look tough, because that wasn't their jobs. I see. Um, what about the guy with the hat? Cowboy? Yeah. I've watched it, the deleted scene before, but I can't remember oh, everyone's dang. specific job. Now here's the lineup. Swan, second in command, war chief. Stay by me. Snowball, you're the music man. Cowboy. Soldier the middle. Furman, you're the bear. Carry the tokens and the bread. So there are a lot of deleted scenes that take place before the meeting. And a lot of them do inform a lot of cool stuff in the movie. But I think it was a great choice to take them out. Because Walter Hill basically decided he does not want any daylight until they're home. And by having those scenes before the meeting, they all took place in Coney Island in the daylight. And he wanted the movie to start in the nighttime and just have them be trapped in this night. Until when the sun came up, that's when you felt free. Yeah. And so I think it was, even though there was like, it would have been cool to know that they all had different jobs and all this other stuff. They basically cut all that. And what they did was they shot all those scenes of them having those one-on-one -on -one conversations. Yes. That were cut with them riding the train up to, to the Bronx. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like love that opening too, because it was, it's so long. But what it does is it tells you visually how far they are from home yes like that opening credits like you could almost be like man this is like five full minutes of opening credits of them just riding the train mm -hmm. but when you realize that the plot of the movie is them having to retrace their steps you're like fuck they were on that train a really long time yeah so yeah so i thought it was oh. and it also gave you a chance to see each of the warriors going up town like get get a visual of them yes, like exactly. individually mm -hmm. While also learning how much they admire or yeah. how they felt about Cyrus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was pretty cool. Um, all these different gangs that they come across uh -huh. are so interesting in their own way. Oh, I love them. Um, and, you know, obviously they're going to come up when we talk about Best Worst. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they were fantastic. I was so scared of most of them. <laughs> <laughs> even the, even the orphans? Oh, the orphans. The, those that was an interesting group. Yeah, I love the I love that group. And I love cuz um that's when that's like one of the first gangs they encounter after the meeting and they're so low like on the low bottom of the gang list that they weren't even invited to the to the meeting. Yeah. And I like that because it just automatically peppers in like I mean Cyrus says it in the opening speech where he's like we have 
a hundred gangs here, and there's over a hundred more in the city. So like, it really is just like, man, every square inch of the city has a gang controlling its turf. Like <laughs> when uh, I forget, do you know the character's name who basically takes Cyrus's place? The Swan. Orlando Jones. Oh no no no! I don't know his name. Oh. I don't think they give his name. Yeah. Anyway, I call him the Orlando Jones because yeah, he's like he's like the, the the new leader of the of the rips. Yeah, um, when he when when he gets informed that the orphans basically the warriors went through the orphans territory, he was like the orphans they aren't in our network. I was like, burn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah, it just like it just truly it's back. It's like they're like the big like villainous corporation in a in a in a comic book like you know what i mean like yeah. like they have a network they know like you know what i mean like it's so i just love like it's one of the best comic book movies i've ever seen and it's not mm. based on a comic book like they just created one out of the blue yeah and i think that's so friggin cool do you want to hear some fun stuff like the the difficulties of shooting in new york and all that that they had sure um there there's some like some of the less interesting stuff that they just didn't think about was like how short um the night is in the summer in New York City. Mm. Like, physically, of the amount of hours that it's dark outside is very short. And when you have to pepper that in with, like, a lunch and all this other stuff that, uh, like, it was just so hard to shoot. They didn't realize how little time they had every night to get stuff before they had to stop shooting when the sun came up. Um, and then same thing, because there was so much movement in the film and the budget was so low, like, lighting... I, I went such a rabbit hole of how they lit this movie. I thought it was... I thought it's brilliant, the kind of stuff that they did. Right. So they didn't have giant trucks to light, you know, blocks after block after block after block. You're shooting on location. You're not closing off these streets. So they had to get creative on how, like, they did stuff. Um, and they had a little bit of lighting, but a lot of scenes would start one place and then end half a mile down the road. So they wrote, early on, they had the idea to have that rainstorm right in the beginning of that movie. Do you remember when it rained? Like, Oh, yeah. It just poured rain out of nowhere and then stopped? Yes. And the reason they did that was... They had an excuse now for every time they shot a scene, they could hose down the street. That, A, it helped with continuity, um, just because by having all the streets wet, it just lets you, like, you kind of, it just, it, for your brain, it kind of... Hmm. Subtle, uh, but it made you yeah. think that it was... But the main thing, which I thought was brilliant, was since they had minimal lighting, they had to rely a lot on street lights, which aren't that bright. But by wetting the pavement, the water reflected the lights back up and actually lit the actors from underneath. Geniuses. So they were just, I was like, oh, that is awesome. Wow. Um, and then the Baseball Furies scene, which is the best scene in the entire movie when they get chased by the Baseball Furies. Um, the director of photography was talking about how he was like freaking out because he was like, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do here. Like they run for a mile. Like, they, like I would have to like this entire park. I don't know what to do. And then eventually he was just like, you know what? Like, he was so worried about realism. And he's like, if I put my lights here, they'll get in the shots. If I put my lights here, they'll get in the shots. And he just decided to say, screw it and go with, make it a look. And he bought, like, a hundred little tiny clip lights from, like, a corner store or whatever. And he just clipped one in the branches of every single tree that they, that they run past in that scene. And I didn't, I've seen this movie 40 times. I never noticed this until now, once I read that he did that. I watched, and you can see, like, you see, like... You can clearly see there are lights in every single tree, which there would never be. Yeah. But the scene is so like dynamic and exciting that I, you would never notice it. Like, like I don't know. It's an old filmmaking thing where like if if you if your audience is staring at the trees, you're probably not making a compelling movie. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like 
Like, and I love that he just committed and he's like, no, that's now going to be the look. The trees have lights in them in this world. Like, you know what I mean? And like, that's awesome. And it's just so creative. I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't get enough of it. That's why I didn't really believe, I know your Andy facts are legit, but I just knew that shooting at night is such a difficult and pricey, could be such a pricey thing on top of shooting in New York that yeah. I'm just so impressed that they were able to accomplish all of this with the budget that they had. Yes, they did have a low budget and they did have to make it work. And it wasn't like they were like, this wasn't like an independent movie in a sense, but they weren't like stealing shots. They weren't like filming where they weren't supposed to. They got all the correct permits. They did everything they're supposed to do correct to film in New York City. You know, got police, got security, insurance, everything. But much like in the movie, during those times, New York City was very dangerous <laughs> and gangs did own a lot of the turf in these areas. So in any neighborhood that they could shoot in, they had to, the production manager, his job, after getting all the legal permits, was to then seek out the gang who ruled the territory, find the right person and pay the right people to make sure that the, the production got left alone. They had um, someone in the NYPD who told them what gangs ran which neighborhoods, and then they had a gang contact who told them who, in the, like, they had someone working for the production who was a gang member, and he would, he could help them identify who the best person to talk to Hilarious. was. Hilarious. And so they'd have to go and basically grease the correct proms to, like, you know, give them a couple hundred bucks to be like, hey, we're going to be filming here. Like, <laughs> we don't mean any trouble, but, we, you know, we want to be this and that. And... Like, there were some stories of, like, the the crew themselves getting harassed every once in a while, like, like by gang members being like, oh, you guys think you're tough, you know? Oh. Um, but they always had, like, legit security on them. They never got, like, actually hurt. The security ended up fucking up some uh, some gang members every once in a while oh. um, for, like, for getting too close. Because, you know, it was all, like, it was about a respect machismo thing, so they're walking around, like... Um, and in Coney Island, actually, between the... Uh, subway station is still will have one that they get off at. Mm -hmm. um, when they were done filming that scene, they had to walk a couple blocks to the restaurant where they were going to have lunch. And that was the one time where uh, the, the the gang uh, affiliate who was working for them told them, like, they absolutely have to take their colors off. If they wear these colors while walking down the street, they were going to get jumped. Whoa. And, like, it's a complete sign of disrespect that the Coney Island gangs are not messing around. Like, they don't, they, they, like, they know you're making a movie and they don't give a shit. Like, they still see it as a sign of disrespect. So wow. they had to lose their colors a lot while they were walking the streets of New York, like not filming scenes. That's crazy. It's kind of funny, though, in my head, I like to think that when the production managers or whatever were talking to these gangs, when they were shooting in these different areas, they're like, but all right, here's the cherry on top. We're filming this huge scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like that was part of the negotiations. Oh, I bet it was. Yeah. <laughs> and then like they shot that last. Yeah. And it's interesting. The guy's name was Frank Marshall. And um he was saying, like, in an interview how, you know, he's a producer type. And so he was like, I love, like, my job on movies is to secure locations. And I love my job. Like, I love to go to new cities and find locations and then talk to the right people. And he's like, I love it. He's like, but I never had a challenge like this before. Like, I <laughs> never knew I was going to have to be going to, like, gangs and, like, grease and palms. And there were some times where they did make mistakes and, like, didn't, didn't talk to the right person or gave money to someone who didn't actually matter. So, like, the word didn't get up. Oh, wow. And so there was, um, there were instances where, like, you know, they would just be filming and all of a sudden, like, a, like a brick would fly off a rooftop and, like, hit one of their production trucks. Oh, my trucks. God. Or they'd come back to their production trucks or their trailers and all the tires would be slashed because the gang members would do that to send a message to them. And, uh, like, there was even one instance where they were filming under an elevated subway platform and these guys just started peeing on them. Like, just started peeing on the crew from above. I would watch a documentary 
that focused on the gang members around during that time yeah. talking about <laughs> like seeing this, this <laughs> yeah, yeah like i would watch that uh and it's ironic because it ended up like this movie you know spoiler ended up making a ton of money uh mainly from young people and mainly from gang members like they actually really love this movie <laughs> but at the time they're like they just see Hollywood filming of, you know, they're probably like, like yeah. they, they're probably like, they're not respecting who we are or anything like that. I, I'm just thinking of like every time I pull out a camera, like on the street when we're doing on the ground stuff and like somebody like turns around and like does a thumbs up, you know, like yeah, that's yeah. how I'm imagining these gang members were when no, this no, professional these, crew these, was around. These were real gang, these weren't people dressed as mimes and clowns and rollerbladers. Like these were fucking gang yeah. members. I'm glad that they didn't take offense to that, like to the different interpretations of different gangs in this movie yeah. like i'm glad that they weren't offended by the baseball gang with their face paints you uh, yeah, know? yeah or I mean, the guys with the overalls and the only one guy on rollerblades yeah. those, those are the punks <laughs> oh, i the used punks. to know every gang i used to know and that was partly for the video game because they actually gave you the backstories to a lot of the gangs and you see mm. like the gang leaders and stuff so you get to learn why the baseball gang doesn't talk uh, uh, you don't learn why, but they just, they just don't like. They just they. The real reason is production was just like I thought it would be scarier. Like uh, if these just like faceless painted things with no voice and who seemingly never got tired. Like they ran at you like machines. They were they ran like the guy in Terminator Two. Yep. It was so scary. Was so good. <laughs> yes, officers. There's something wrong. Have you seen this boy? How great. Um, I know we're jumping around, but who cares? <laughs> it's amazing. In the, base, in the Baseball Furies fight when uh, he's holding the bat like halfway up his arm and then he extends it like it's a sword. Yeah. Like I thought that was so cool. Like <laughs> I, love... I was on high alert this whole movie. Um, I couldn't handle it. And so many, um, so much of the good stuff too was just like, so I just love how so much of this movie came about of like on the spot decisions as opposed, like, you know, like kind of going with the flow filmmaking. And one of the reasons I was bringing up all that um, stuff with the gang neighborhoods and having to pay different people, it's like, so they didn't necessarily pick places to film based on filmic qualities. Like, they weren't like, ooh, I really want to get this looks... Like, they picked it based on safety. Like, mm -hmm. they picked it based on where the safer gangs were. And then once they got there, that's when they were like, all right, we have to make this work. How can we make this look good? Mm -hmm. um, so I found that really interesting. They had to... Um, apparently the character of Cochise was supposed, there was supposed to be a scene where he, he gets killed and gets dumped in the Hudson River. Cochi, remind Cochise, me. he's the blackout the Oh, effort. yes, yes, yes. The fans are going to laugh at you because you <laughs> asked that six times when I keep saying the blackout the <laughs> You also can't say his name right. It's Cochise. Oh, what did I say? Cochi. Cochi. Yeah. Cochise. <laughs> I like that you said the fans are going to laugh. <laughs> We got fans. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, there was a scene um, where he was supposed to... They were supposed to film a scene in Alphabet City where he gets killed and they end up dumping him in the Hudson River. And then the day they were supposed to film that, uh, there was just a homicide on the block. Somebody just got murdered randomly and they were just like, they just canceled it. Oh. They were like, yeah, we're not going down there. Like, Alphabet uh, City was always one of the most dangerous places in New York, in yeah. New York back then. That's crazy. But I'm happy he didn't die. I liked him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they already killed two of them. Yeah, which I actually, I love that they did that, though, because if I love, like, it really established danger they were in. Like, if none of them ever got hurt or killed, then I would just be like, oh, they'll be fine. You know, like, yeah. you know, like, I don't, I don't really worry that Batman or Spider-Man's ever going to get killed. Well, it was actually, they were killed in such a short amount of time in between them that I thought by the time they got back to Coney Island, there would only be, like, one or two of them. Oh, interesting. Like, I thought it was going to, like, just keep cutting them off um 
so one interesting thing uh, that is a crazy story. Um, so, you know, the character Fox, he's the one who gets killed by getting thrown in front of the train. Yeah. Um, that one. And he's always the one. He has, like, the second most screen time after Swan. Like, Swan's the one who takes over after yeah. after Cleon dies. Um, so he was originally cast to be the star of this movie. Hmm. Like, I don't know, I don't know why, but for some reason that actor was, like, the hot thing in Hollywood at that time. Everybody was calling him the next James Dean. Like, they were just like, this guy is going to be huge. He's amazing. Um, he had all these different movie offers, and he picked the Warriors based on the script. Um, the script was very different. He was supposed to fall in love with Mercy, the female character. Mm-hmm. Um, he was supposed to take, his character was supposed to take control of the gang after, um, af, uh, after Cleo dies. Well, <laughs> you always drop letters. Cleon. Cleon. <laughs> <laughs> Kochi Cleon. Swa. <laughs> Aja. Aja. <laughs> so basically the way it was supposed to play out was Swan was still going to take over after Cleon died in that graveyard scene. Then when they get separated, Swan was supposed to get captured by this other gang. And who knows if this would have been filmed well, tastefully, but it was supposed to be a homosexual gang. And Kevin Bacon was, was actually cast as one of the gang members. Oh my god. Um, and that was pre-Friday the 13th, which was his like first real big movie. So like this would have been like our first introduction of Bacon. Oh. Um, and then, I, I don't know, they didn't go into detail about what was supposed to happen there. Eventually he does break out and reunite with the Warriors for the final scene in the beach. But after he gets taken out, Fox was supposed to actually like take over from there. And he was the one who falls in love with Mercy and all that. But behind the scenes, that actor, him and Walter Hill had a lot of problems. Walter Hill's the guy who played Swan? No, Walter Hill's the director. Oh, okay. Um, basically, it all started early on because of the low budget. All the Warriors actually shared one trailer. So there was one trailer for all eight guys. Mm-hmm. Not counting Cleon because he had such a short filming schedule because he died early in the film. And the actor was just like... You know, understandably upset, like, you know, they're running and sweating all night, and then they all have to change and shower in this one little trailer, Mm. this and that, and then he, instead of, what you're supposed to do in that situation is talk to your agent, who then takes care of it. They're the ones who reaches out to the studio, talks to that. He didn't do that. He kind of had an ego. He was about 23 at the time. He did one movie before this, and that's when they were all calling on the next James Dean. Mm -hmm. And so he just immediately made a big stink about it. He threatened to report the entire production to the Screen Actors Guild. Like, he was, like, basically threatening to, like, shut it all down and this and that because he was unhappy with that. And uh, the studio immediately got the second trailer. Like, they were just, like, they didn't want... They, they were, like, we don't want to shut down. Like, we'll lose way too much money. So they did what he wanted, but that immediately just caused a rift between him and production. Like, mm. they just didn't care for him anymore. Um, there was also another story that I thought was kind of stupid where, like, when they were first talking about the characters and he met Walter Hill, Walter Hill, like was, like, offered him a drink to, like, talk about the thing over drinks, and he turned it down, and then, like, it just kind of, like, rubbed Walter Hill the wrong way, where Mm -hmm. he's like, my actor doesn't even want to have a drink with me, like, how am I going to work with this guy? Like, you know, that's a little bit petty, but that's kind of where they said it all started. Both him and Walter Hill kind of said that that was the moment where it started. But anyway, he threatened to do it, this and that, and then just throughout then, he just kept fighting Walter Hill over everything. Like, he just, the way he read the script, he was envisioning a different movie than the movie they were making. Mm. He actually wanted it to be more about redemptive gang life. He looked at his character as somebody who, like, grows throughout the movie, learns to fall in love, and, like, turns his back on the gangness of it all. He thought the movie was way too violent. He thought it was glorifying violence. 
he basically just wasn't on board with, with what they were making. Interesting. Even though he signed on and signed all the contracts and did all that. Um, so then he began um, kind of just being belligerent on set. He would often just get into yelling matches with Walter Hill about the direction of which they were shooting stuff. Oh. He would sneak off and get high a lot and then just come back late, like, you know, like, just like reeking like weed and shit like that. Till eventually about seven weeks in, Walter Hill just got fed up. And out of nowhere, he just went to the stunt coordinator and he was like, you have to think of a way to kill this character. <gasps> he's like, they're like, what are you talking about? He's like, we're killing Fox. And they're like, but he gets, he's like, and also Michael Beck, who plays Swan, they said he, him and um, the woman who played Mercy had such an undeniable chemistry, mm. like that they didn't know was going to be there, that they were like, these two belong together. Like they like they just pop on screen yeah. uh, the way that Fox and her just didn't. Um, so they just on the fly improvised the him getting thrown in front of the train um, they just found someone on the crew who kind of looked like him. Yeah, because uh, he's definitely not doing that stuff. Yeah, they <laughs> shot it all from behind. Like, he, he didn't even know. And then they just called him and they were like, you're fired. Like, we just killed off your character and we rewrote the script. And, like, so then so then they cut the scene of Swan getting captured. They kept it. So then Swan basically did everything Fox was supposed to do. Whoa. And then when the time of the movie was released, he was still so hot and angry, the actor... Well, they were like, okay, how do you want your name to be written? And he's like, I don't want my name anywhere on that movie. Take me off. And so he is not credited. So if you watch the credits, he's not there. That's why he's not on IMDb right now. He's not anywhere on this movie. Big mistake. Huge. And then throughout the years, though, he, um, like, when you watch interviews with him now, he 100% takes all the credit for fucking that up. Like, he was like, him and Walter Hill have made up. They've, They've buried the hatchet. He's like... I was crazy, like, I shouldn't have, I never should have reported the production, like, I thought I was this huge giant star who could do whatever he wanted, and they had to listen to me, and wow. he's like, I went into this team project with such an ego, and acted the wrong way, like, in every step of the way, he's like, it's the biggest regret of my entire professional career, huh. and to this day, he's still, he's an acting coach, and he was like, I teach acting, but I also teach how to act on set, Yeah. and I use my past to, like, to like get people to not do that he's like the main thing i teach my students is always have a level head always be humble always be grateful that you're on this production yeah like and so and to this day like he showed up for the coat for the reunion they did that was going to be my next yeah. question if he's like involved in yeah. these reunions walter hill passed away in 2014 but like they buried the hatchet before that so like that's amazing yeah so like now he's totally part of like the warriors family again and everything that's insane, though, that he's, like, I can't find him. Yeah, like, he was the star. Like, he was going to be, like, it's crazy. Wow. Yeah. But, I mean, I really think that everything worked out for the better. Like, yeah, him and uh, Swan and, what's her name? Uh, Mercy. Mercy. I almost called her Melinda. <laughs> Pop on screen together. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And also, I mean, you even said it too. You were like, "Man, this guy is so traditionally handsome." Mm-hmm. Like, I'm really surprised they didn't pick Michael Beck to be the the lead because, like, he is goddamn beautiful. Yeah. Like, this other, like, I don't get why they thought this guy was gonna be James Dean. He just looked like this, like he like a like schlubby dude with like a like like a Jufro. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I thought that uh, slimy guy was Luther. going to get a hold of Fox and like kill him. Oh, like, why? I thought that's how Fox was going to go Why did you think that specifically? Because Fox is the one who saw oh, yeah. him shoot mm-hmm. Cyrus. So that's how I thought that was going to go down. That's why the train scene caught me by yeah. surprise. But actually, all that backstory is so interesting. Yeah, it blew my mind. And as someone who's been a fan of this my whole life, they actually, that hasn't even surfaced until, like, recently, like, in 2015, when they did, like, the return to Coney. Like, they always just said, like, oh, we went in a different direction. Like, but all those stories never mm-hmm. came out until recently cool um 
And actually, nice Andy facts. It, it makes me wonder because the one thing I think that happens super fast in the movie that I just, it's not my favorite part is when the Rifts find out that the Warriors didn't kill Cyrus. Like just some random gang member like shows up in their place and then they go, this guy knows who really shot Cyrus. Yeah, who was that guy? Just somebody who, who saw it. I thought that Fox had somehow survived the train. I, I didn't. I didn't read this anywhere, so I can't say for sure. But my guess would be that that would have played more into the movie if Fox was the main character, mm. if him letting them know that they were the ones, like you know, that they were innocent. But I think because they abruptly killed him off and had to rewrite the script, to me it seems like they quickly wrote a scene where like some gang member saw it and goes and tells them. Uh, I, I think like n- n- narratively, it's the weakest part of the movie because it just it just comes out of nowhere I and agree. seems to like solve everything. So I, I was never a big fan of that, and I don't know for sure if that's the case, but that's what it sure seems like to me. And now that I know all this story, like he's he's the one person who sees who shot Cyrus. So yeah. you'd, you'd think that he it would it would come up later, but sometimes you got to roll with production. <laughs> yeah, I because without it too, like you would have to assume that they that whole crew of two hundred men overheard. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, Ratface saying on the beach, like, yeah, I killed him, blah, blah, blah. Well, no, it's it's definitely whoever shows up to the Rips earlier when they go, this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah. I'm just oh, saying, yeah. like, without that scene, you'd have to, you know, trust that they didn't notice that 200 men on the beach were listening to <laughs> yeah, their conversation. exactly. So I understand why they put it in there. <laughs> oh, quick, uh, one thing I missed uh, that I just want to go back to, the, the director's cut differences. Well, the one other little thing that wasn't in the original movie was the subtitle that said sometime in the future. Yes. And Walter Hill just wanted to do that because it's obviously not... 19, like, he wanted to just, like, disestablish it from our world. Mm-hmm. So if you're watching 1979, you're not... You don't think that he thinks this is a realistic depiction. Yeah. Um, but the studio didn't want that because it was 1979, two years after Star Wars, which was a long time ago in a galaxy far, Hilarious. far away. And the studio was like, not Star Wars did that. We don't want to... We don't... Sometime. The world doesn't revolve around you, Star Wars. <laughs> Gosh. The last thing I want to say is the Warriors come out to play. Oh, yeah. Mad scary. Mad creepy. Completely improvised. Really? Yeah. This guy's good. There was nothing in the there was nothing in the script. They were just supposed to like call to the warriors or whatever, and then Walter Hill just felt like it wasn't working, and they only had five minutes to shoot. Like they had no time, and he literally went to that actor uh, who played Luther, and he was just like, "Come up with something." Like you you think, and I'll go think, and let's do this. Whoa! And then it's actually a fun story. So he lived in New York, yeah, dangerous New York at the time. Luther. Yeah. Mm-hmm. David Patrick Kelly is his name. David, you did a great job. I just want to say I'm calling the character Ratface, not yeah. you. Just <laughs> um, want to clarify that. So in his neighborhood, there was this like really like tough gang dude who lived like on in his building, and he would always fuck with David Kelly all the time. Like like he didn't really like hurt him, but he would always taunt him and threaten him and scare him and make fun of him. And one of the things he would do is whenever he would walk out of his apartment, if the tough guy was there, he would go. Dave. And he would follow him around the street going, Dave. <laughs> and so that, so he took that for the Warriors. Oh my come God. Come out to play. <laughs> like he, he like channeled that guy basically. Oh um, man. And then the bottle thing, he just found those bottles under the boardwalk and like, Fun fact, those are like little mini bottles. Mm-hmm. Like they were like these like tiny beers they used to sell. Yeah. Because... As me and my friend Trevor were obsessed with this movie, we tried that many a times when we were drinking beers in high school, and we could never do it with full-size beer. Uh. Like, they were just too big, you couldn't clank them, and, like, we were never able to, like, recreate this. (laughs) 
That is so, it was so creepy. Yeah. And it was so long. Like that scene felt so yep. long. I love it. Which I think helped um, achieve the creepiness. Yeah. Warriors come out to play. Warriors come out to play. Um, a lot of the really memorable dialogue in this ended up uh, being improvised. You know, stuff like Ajax line, like, I'm gonna stick that bat, bat up your ass and turn yeah. you into a popsicle. <laughs> like, all that, you know, they were just coming up with stuff on the fly. That's honestly my favorite part about movies, where the director and actor collaborate to improvise something on set that become ends up becoming this amazing creation, you know? Like, those are my favorite kinds of stories. Yeah. It's just, like, a nice representation of, like, how talented people are to think that deeply about their character. Yeah. It's not a big deal. Sorry. Yeah. I don't know why I'm so amazed by it, but I just <laughs> like it. Um, what did you think of the soundtrack, like of the score and, and everything, the way the scenes were scored? I mean, I thought it was fine. As a person watching it for the first time, I honestly didn't pay that much attention to it. I was more paying attention to the story. Uh-huh. So probably if I watched it again, I'd pay more yeah. attention to it. But you love the soundtrack. Oh, I love it. <laughs> you were like jamming next to me. Yeah, yeah. I, it's... <laughs> I think, like, all the original score stuff, it all flows so perfectly. And, like, it's a 70s movie, but it seemed like they really hit that synth sound that later would become real popular in the 80s. And it was just, like, it just, it, like, I hear any of those noises and I just picture the world of this movie. Imagine watching Warriors, guys. And, like, you're just, like, watching it for the first time. It's intense. These armies of gangs are chasing the Warriors down and you're anxious and you're worried they for could, them. They could die any second. Yeah. And then Andy's just like bopping his head to the soundtrack. I was He's doing like, mad yeah. air guitar and shit. <laughs> I was like, and I was like, Andy, I'm constantly like, <laughs> this isn't a time for fun. I'm worried about these guys. I, I was like, I already know what happens to them. Don't worry. <laughs> Not only is there all this crazy fun facts about how they made the movie. Andy facts. Yeah. The release of the movie, I feel like, was just as like crazy. Movie came out, got ravaged by critics. Nobody liked it. Like Boo, e critics. E Ebert gave it like one star. Siskel gave it two. Like they were all just like lame. Like it's over the like it's not like so everyone either said it's it's too silly to be taken serious. And then it's, like, too serious to be fun. Like, which is the dumbest shit I've ever heard. Rolling my eyes so hard. Um, over time, as, like, the cult classic of itness came up, all of a sudden good reviews started coming out. Like, you know, people who grew up watching the movie over and over again on video in the 80s. Mm -hmm. uh, and now it has, like, an 89 on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, pretty much anybody who wrote a bad review, like, rewrote it years later to be like, actually, it's really good. But it did come out. It, it opened number one in the box office. Young people loved this movie. Like, it... Like they didn't, um, they didn't do any like press screenings or anything like that beforehand because they just knew this wasn't the type of movie for critics. It was the type of movie for like. People. They knew their movie. Yeah. yeah, but so the movie was incredibly popular with a lot of gang members, <laughs> which led to a lot of problematic things happening at the movies when oh, this came out. No. In the first like two weeks alone, there was a lot of just like fights breaking out, like things like that, because like Walter Hill even said like. You know, everybody wanted to see this movie, but you'd be in the movie theater and all of a sudden you'd look to your left and it'd be that gang you hate 
also watching the movie. So they would get into fistfights and this and that. Just watch the movie, guys. Um, And then on three occasions, there actually were like killings that happened at the movie theaters. Two in California and one in Boston. One person got shot, one was a stabbing. And then this immediately just caused like a bunch of panic where the theaters didn't want to screen it anymore. As soon as people got killed and it was reported in the paper, the studio pulled all advertising off TV and, and radio. In print, they kept it, but all they kept was the word warriors. Mm-hmm. Like, they didn't write what it was about. They didn't write that it was a gang movie. Like, nothing. They completely killed all stuff. And then, in actually, in a crazy move, Paramount, which I feel like you wouldn't see this today anymore, they, even though their movie was making a lot of money, they allowed any theater that wanted to, to choose not to screen it. Which, once you sign that contract, as a theater, you can't make that choice. Mm-hmm. Like, if you sign, I'm going to sh- show your movie for three months you don't the studio can sue the fuck out of you right but they just let any any theater who felt unsafe could just say we don't want to show this anymore and they said that's no problem we're not going to sue you we're not going to we'll let you take it out and then they even they paid out of pocket to hire extra security for the movie theaters that asked for it Mm -hmm. and hired crews to clean up vandalism so if things got broken if things got fucked up they did all this stuff like which i thought was kind of crazy for a movie studio Mm -hmm. like nowadays i feel like there's profit on the table they don't give a fuck right like you know what i mean like well, I guess they wanted to keep making a profit, so they were providing these things to the studio so that way they could continue to do so. Yeah, that is true. But uh, all in all, after about the first two weeks, there really wasn't a lot of more instances of violence. It was kind of just right in the very beginning. The movie ended up grossing about like $16.5 million, and it mm-hmm. was like a $5 million budget, so it was considered yeah a pretty, a pretty big hit for that. Hill him said, like, he still to this day like thinks that the reason this movie resonated with so many people is because it was... Even though it wasn't realistic, it was the only movie that was about gang life that wasn't preaching to gang members. Mm. Like, it wasn't it wasn't there to, to point the finger and be like, you shouldn't be doing this, and, you know, like, like, you should get yourself on the right path. Like, there's no character who's on that arc. Like, in the grand scheme of things, it almost, like, I'm not gonna say it shows gangs as a good thing, but, like, the camaraderie and family that it brings... It seems like it's like a necessary defensive mechanism to the environment that these people live in. Yes. Like if they didn't have this brotherhood, they would be subject to a lot more violence and danger. You know what I mean? Right. And then I liked, by taking out a lot of the more graphic and horrible stuff, the warriors were, without knowing anything about them and like who they are or like how they are a gang... They're presented with like a little bit of nobility. Like they make like off-color jokes. Like they pretend, like they tell Mercy, like we should run a train on you right now, which obviously is a horrible thing to say. Yes. But I don't ever believe that that Swan meant that. You know what I mean? Like I don't think Swan was like, yeah, maybe we will. Nah, let's not. It's a very off-color yeah. joke. It's not funny. But I don't think he meant it. Like I don't think yeah. it was a possibility that they might have gang raped her right there. Right. And then I do like all the abhorrent stuff in the gang is kind of portrayed by Ajax. So it's like to show that that does exist, but it's not what the gang's about. Mm -hmm. Like it would be a very different thing if all the warriors wanted to rape and beat the fuck out of people and fight all the time. But by having Ajax, it was just showing him like, yes, that's a mindset that exists. Mm. But by having this crew, it almost like reins him in a little. And like maybe he'd be doing worse stuff if he didn't have them. Right. And then in the same time, Rembrandt? What's his name? Uh, Rembrandt. And at the same time, Rembrandt 
kind of represents like the soft one. Like maybe he's there. He's part of the warriors because of circumstance. Yeah, like like he's he's there probably for protection because he's probably getting picked on for being a wimp all the time. Yeah. But his art skills let him excel. That's so, interesting. Like, yeah. So it, it kind of instead of just showing when you join a gang, you're bad, and now you have to not be like it. It showed it in this different way, and I think that really spoke to young people. And that's kind of Walter Hill just wanted to do from the beginning. It doesn't show the gangs as like an inherent problem, but yeah, it's just something that rose up in response to their environment. Speaking of their environment, obviously, you know, it they kind of allude to the fact that like these guys are in a gang and obviously they don't they're not floating in riches, like they come from a poor poor lifestyle and you kind of get that vibe, notably in the scene in the subway where Swan and Mercy where Swan, thank you. <laughs> you knew I was going to forget. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get that where Swan and Mercy are sitting opposite of these guys who, I guess, came from prom. Yeah. <laughs> and you kind of see, like, Mercy trying to, like, go and fix her hair. And Swan, like, brings her hand down. Yeah. And that was... It's one of my favorite moments. It tells you so much about Swan and Mercy. Yeah. It was fantastic. Because Mercy, like, I feel like she... You don't get much of her backstory of, like, what she was doing with the orphans, but it didn't seem like she was, like, their girl. More like she just kind of floated around. Yes. And it seemed like she had, like, no, like, kind of... She didn't think highly of herself at all. Yeah. Like, she just was, like, about living in the moment, having fun, not giving a fuck, living dangerously. And there's not a lot of dialogue in the movie, so there's not a lot of moments where, like, they talk about having the self-respect. But, yeah, that one moment, it was, like, Swan basically saying, they're not better than us. Mm Mm-hmm. And don't try and fix yourself for them. Yes. Be proud of who you are because that's who you are. And uh, yeah, I, like, I love that scene. And like the fact they do it with no dialogue. It's just like they come on laughing and they see the gang. They shut up. And then you could tell immediately Mercy's ashamed of who she is. Yeah. And he's just like, don't be. I felt <laughs> that. You know, I feel like everybody has felt that feeling before. Yeah. And it was just nice oh, to have someone like Swan feel that way yeah and i was like at that moment man i'm glad swan's like leading the warriors right now you know yeah and again i always want to know more about backstory i want to know more about swan like (laughs) (laughs) i want to know where he comes from how he became who he was you know yeah Something I mean, we'll, clear, we'll clearly Cleon saw something in him because he made him because it, it goes war, warlords, the leader and war chief is second in command. So yeah. he was war chief. Yeah. So it's like he was like the vice president of the presidents, essentially. Right. Um, yeah. If Ajax was, no. war, yeah, it would be chaos. Yeah. It'd be insane. There's no way. I mean, Ajax was brought there strictly for the muscle in case they got into fights. Mm hmm. Um, he he craved the fights. He's so and like I believed it too, and like even just the fact with like the not using stunt doubles, like the scene when he gets arrested, mm-hmm. like you felt his rage when he pulled. Like you know that those benches are not light. Yeah, he pulled that entire bench up from his handcuff. He must have scars on his wrist. It had to have. And uh, another fun story in his audition, he brought a pair of handcuffs. And his character was supposed to be giant. He was supposed to be like six foot four. Like he was the muscle. Yeah. And James Remar's small. He's like five ten, five nine. He's a really small guy. Mm-hmm. He was built. Like he was like a musky, muscular guy, but he's not tall. And so he didn't think he had a chance of getting that character. And so he brought handcuffs in. And as like he, that scene started riling, because that was his audition scene. Uh. As he started riling up, he handcuffed himself to the table that they were on and started wailing on it and then actually lifted the table. <gasps> and that's where they got the idea to have him do it with the park bench. And Walter Hill was so shocked. And, like, he even said later, and he was like, we have to hire this guy. He lifted the fucking table. Like, like <laughs> nobody else 
came with that kind of passion. That's insane. And like, that's such a ballsy move yeah. to do in an audition because they could be pissed. Yeah, <laughs> I know exactly. And like, and I don't know what I liked about it. To go back to the comic book thing is it just gave me such Wolverine vibes because in X Men mm. Wolverine's like the toughest X Men, but he's also also about five eight. Like he's incredibly Hugh Jackman isn't so in the movies that doesn't uh, translate. Yeah, Hugh Jackman's six one in the comics and in the cartoon he was always short. He's mm-hmm. always like five eight. Like he's like, so like if you looked at him you wouldn't think a big tough guy, but he was always the strongest, craziest, scrappiest, right. toughest X Men. So Ajax was like the Wolverine to me of of the Warriors. Hurts the blob. Okay, round boy. Let's dance. I feel like we really got into it. Should we move on to best worst? Yeah, I think it's time to move on to best worst. I mean, I'll be honest, the trivia I have for this movie could fill a book and <laughs> we this is already our longest episode, so we'll just we'll screw we'll keep it there and I think let's have a little bit of fun and move on to best worst. Alright. All right. So you wanna start? You want me to start? I'm gonna start just with a nice easy one that I feel like we both probably thought of. Yeah. Again, we don't talk about our best worst beforehand. So I'm going to say best worst gang, but with the caveat of excluding the warriors. Okay. Ooh. Okay. Because I feel like it's easy to pick them because we know them. That's so interesting. So because... now we're basing it more visually and like stuff like that. Well, yeah, because I thought that you would write that down. So I wrote best worst gang outfits. <laughs> so oh. I don't know if... I, I feel like I would have different answers, so I'm gonna... I kind of feel like my whole choice is gonna be based on the outfit. Oh, really? Because even the gangs we see, outside of the rogues, which is Luther's gang and the Rifts, mm-hmm. none of them do anything other than hunt the warriors, so like we don't know anything. We don't know what they're about or why they do... So like it's really about how they dress. I guess so. That's true. Yeah, I think we combine these two and just do best gang, and we'll discuss the outfit. The outfits are coming no matter what. That sounds good. Did you have one already? For me, it's, like, the scariest, like, what was most convincing as a game. Yeah, like, what worked. Yeah, the guys on the bus. Oh, the Turnbull ACs? Yeah, yeah. They were freaking scary. They're scary because they're, they're, their look is skinhead, and what the fuck is scarier than a neo-Nazi skinhead? Yeah. You know, and even though there were black ones, like I said earlier, so it wasn't a race thing. Right. It just still evoked those images. But just, like... You know, they're reckless. They're willing to risk their lives, a.k.a. like the person riding on top of the bus while it's moving. Like, it was very Mad Max. Yeah. And this, uh, it wasn't much later than Mad Max, so I wouldn't be surprised. The first Mad Max, so oh. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, they got some some inspiration from George Miller there. Uh, yeah. They were the best, yeah. like as in most convincing. Yeah. I mean, I think you know mine, but Baseball Furies. <laughs> I love the Baseball Furies. That's hilarious. I love the fact, like... They're the most, like, a horror movie character, you know what I mean? Like, I love the face paint, I love that you don't know anything about it, you don't know why they all love baseball so much, like, <laughs> like, like, you know, I like that they come automatically with a weapon, so they show up, like, you know, like, instead of just, like, trying to fight with their fists, like, they all inherently yeah. have a bat. Yes, I agree. They were, they were, to me, though, they were a little hilarious because I was thinking, like, wow, you have to paint your face every night. I was thinking that with the, uh, <laughs> the... They, they don't say their names in the movies, but I remember from the video game, they were the hi-hats, and those were the mimes with the big top hats. Oh, yes. Like, those, I was like, every day? <laughs> like, like, because, like, that didn't look scary. Like, like a mime doesn't look scary. Like, yeah. the way that, like, these demonic baseball demons look, you know what I mean? Like, they could be scary, though. I feel like in this, they weren't. Yeah. But I think they have potential to In the be. video game, their leader is, like, this big clown man they have to fight. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, and worst, I gotta think. I mean... You're going to think it's cheating, but I, I do think the worst are the rogues, which is Luther's gang. And it's not because I hate Luther. I just think they're, like, lame. <laughs> like, their outfits didn't really, like, 
they, they didn't, like, pop in any way. They were just kind of wearing denim. And then I didn't really know, like, what their, like, theme was. Well, to me, Luther kind of was not in tune with the rest of the gang. Like, they didn't seem to match in terms of theme and dress. Yeah. Like, I feel like I remember seeing a guy with, like, a black hat on. Yeah. Or, like, they had black and de- denim, but, like, the Luther had the hair that was wild. I think. Well, I think that's a, from a production standpoint where since Luther is, a, like, a character you need to stand out. You I have know. to make him look different. It's but, the same reason why the warriors all look different. And every other gang look exactly the same. Yeah, but the warriors, at least, like, they were tied together through, like, the same color scheme. Like, I feel like Luther didn't really even match. Maybe I need to look at them again. He did in color scheme, but he wasn't quite, like, yeah, they all had hats. He didn't have a hat. There was there was little things like that. Yeah. Um, but interesting. So, yeah, I just, like, everyone else, like, you know, you saw the ones, they were all wearing purple pimp things. I'm like, oh, these guys like pimps. Like, <laughs> like you know. The, the punks all were wearing over, like, ah, look at these punks. Like, you could just, like, so many gangs, you could tell what they were about visually within three seconds. And yes. if I just saw the rogues, their name doesn't mean anything, and their outfits don't mean anything. I don't know why this image just came into my head, but remember in 10 Things I Hate About You when J- J- Joseph Gordon-Levitt Levitt is getting introduced to all the... The clicks? I would love that, but in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> with all the gangs. Like, that's the Electric Eliminators. Uh, that's... <laughs> I just want that scene to be made. Yeah. That's great. Um, yeah, go on. For me, it was the punks. Oh, uh, yeah. As my worst. Well, first of all, I was like, overalls. <laughs> <laughs> and then they had this one random tall guy who didn't fit in with the rest of the crew. That's he true. was significantly older. <laughs> yeah. And then they had the one guy who was in rollerblades, who I guess was who Fox was for the Warriors. Yeah, like the scout ahead guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, I'd give it. Punks are pretty lame, too. <laughs> and also, like... But was, that bathroom scene was great. Oh, I love the bathroom scene. That actually, um, that's the only set they built for the movie. Oh. Everything else was filmed, like, on location, but because of, like, the damage they had to do to that bathroom, that, like, A, they probably, they couldn't even find a bathroom that, like, fit everything they wanted to do, but also to destroy it, that, like... And then repair it. All the stalls got broke. And plus, like, you have to put in breakaway shit. Like, you can't just break a real stall. Like, you got to put a door that's going to give in when you kick it. Yeah. So it's easier to build that from scratch. So, yeah, that was the one and only set. And uh, everything else was on the street or in, like, real locations. It was so hilarious that after Mercy did all these things, like, has been through so much, she was like, I can't go in the men's bathroom. Right? <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> this is where you draw the line? Oh, uh, before we go back to... Wow, another best worst. You remember when she just randomly shows up with a coat out of nowhere? Yes. And they were like, they were like, oh, she's like, I stole it from somebody. The actress broke her wrist halfway through filming and had a cast on. And so they had to put that coat on her to hide the cast. And so they didn't wow. know what the fuck to do. So they just wrote in a thing where they were like, yeah, yeah, the police are looking for someone in a pink top. <laughs> and I was like, why are they looking for you? Like, could they even, you know, like the first time I saw it, I was like, who knows who you are? <laughs> that is fantastic. So they just like wrote in a quick line of dialogue there. Um, cool. Should I go next? Yes. Best Worst Warrior. Ooh, nice. Alright, so always as a kid, and a lot of this was because he was my favorite to play in the video game, but Cochise was always my favorite. Mm. I loved Cochise. Who's that? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I remember this time. I'm just kidding. Um, I just, I, I think his, like, crazy, like, Native American attire was, like, made him stand out differently from the rest. Mm-hmm. I loved his name. That name Cochise was everywhere in the 70s. There's a movie called Cooley High. Uh, mm-hmm. It was, like, it was like, about, like, a black high school. It's, like, a, it's like a black high school movie. And uh, and the main guy's name is Cochise and that. And I'm just like, man, Cochise? Black people in the 70s love the name Cochise. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he was always my favorite, like, 
from Nets, but I have to say it was a lot of it was his like move set in the video game, which which, wow. which didn't really like doesn't really count for the movie. Outside of like wanting to get laid, he doesn't have too many like motivational moments in the movie. Yes. So I guess if I truly had to choose, I mean it would be Swan. Hands off my Swan. That was my <laughs> best <laughs> and also when you play the video game it starts off with cleon alone slowly building the warriors like one by one Ooh. so like you get so much cleon story in the game that in, in the movie he dies so quickly and a lot of the deleted scenes in the beginning were him discussing his apprehensions of the meeting so he had a lot of stuff that was cut out of the movie yeah i don't understand why i thought cleon would somehow survive yeah, being beat either. up like that <laughs> but uh i oh, actually hilariously that happens in the book at the very end, he shows back up for the oh. climax and ends up surviving that ordeal. So that actually is not that weird that you thought that. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I, I wanted to see more of him, honestly. Yeah, he was great. And I loved, uh, but I loved even that little bit you saw why he was the leader. Mm -hmm. Not just in the way he commanded everyone and they all listened to him, but then when he actually had the fight. He was clearly the best fighter, too. Like, he took out, like, six people. Yeah, and he wanted to make sure his fellow warriors were safe. Like, yeah. he told them like leave blah blah exactly. blah exactly not to keep gushing about the uh the video game but um <laughs> what was fucking cool is instead of making long dragged out fights it was really about like hard hits and cool moves mm -hmm. the makers of the video game incorporated all of those perfectly so if you remember like when cleon does that move where the guy's coming up behind him and he elbows him like that kind of hard elbow to the behind yes that's like in the game if you press the right combo he does like a one-two punch flips you around and does that move when swan is fighting the baseball furies he does this thing where he puts like his two fists together and hits him in the stomach twice yes. and then does a third hit like all those are in the video game it's so fucking cool you love video games yeah, it's a good ass game <laughs> So yeah, he's my favorite. Uh, your favorite swan. Yeah. <laughs> Stop stealing my favorites. <laughs> I didn't steal your other favorite. My baseball favorites is my favorite other thing. Okay. And then worst... Man, honestly, it's a mix of cowboy and snow, and that's mainly just because they don't do much. Mm. You don't have a lot of dialogue. They're a little bit forgettable. I actually thought snow was very captivating. Yeah. The actor who played... He, I don't know. He just had a look that I yeah. was like, whoa, what's your story? And he was the one who was smart enough to bring the flammable alcohol so they could make a bomb in case yeah. they had to use it. And they did have to use it. So, yeah. yeah. That was so great. I guess Cowboy. All Cowboy does... And in the Baseball Furies fight, he's the one who gets knocked out. Mm -hmm. Like, like he gets fucking rocked out. And, the and he just gives up. And then at the end, he, he comes back up. He's like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you were just slack. And also, like, everyone else is like big tough guys who wear their vest with no shirt underneath and he wears a shirt underneath so i was always like i was getting less muscles what's going on here i wonder if that was an actor thing like I, I, well i think it had to do with his name cowboy because it helped fit the look in my opinion by having uh, a t-shirt then a vest and then the cowboy hat yeah like he looked more like a cowboy so i think it was just a production thing okay um but yeah so he was so yeah i would say cowboy is my least favorite all right for me Rembrandt? Rembrandt. Oh, God. The funny thing, Rembrandt <laughs> is a famous painter, and that's who he's named after. Like, it's not like they, like, Rembrandt is as famous as Da Vinci, and <laughs> you can't remember his Ooh. name. He's literally just named after a painter. That's an edit. Um, Rembrandt was a close one. I almost chose him, because he was just, like, so quiet, and I was like, how are you helping the crew? Yeah. But... He did redeem himself and actually helped out because he was the one out of three that wasn't like infatuated with the women when they were with, with that women. Yeah. yeah. So he actually got out of my slot for worst and then it ended up being Ajax uh. for me. Not because the actor was great. The role was great. I just think as a character, like he was a crappy character. Like he was a crappy guy. Yeah, like, yeah. Even when he's like making out with 
the cop who ends up the woman who ends up being a cop yeah. on the park bench just roughed it up. He was just crazy, out of control, short fuse. So he yeah. was my worst. All right, I'll give you that. I mean, I I agree with a hundred percent. He's the worst character, like in terms of morals and actions. But he's just so captivating to watch. Like mm-hmm. he's like the fan favorite, and like Walter Hill, he's I don't agree with him, but he's expressed like regret where he thought it was like. He's like, ah, I don't know if I should have taken him out like that in the movie. Fans love him so much. Like, I feel like he should have been there till the end. But even the actor James Remar was like, no, he needed to be punished for his actions. He was the worst warrior in terms of, like, honor and everything. Like, so he had to get his comeuppance, which I agree. Right. Because even, like, that scene's so fucked up because at first he's like, oh, I see a cute girl. I want to get some. And it's like, all right. What's like, you know, it's like, that's not terrible. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I was like, but now's not the time. But she is one. Yeah, now's not the time. (laughs) But I'm saying like, it doesn't make him a monster. Like a a guy who sees a good looking girl that wants to go see if he can, you know, strike up a thing is, doesn't make you a monster. But he goes over there, talks to her. She immediately is like on board. And then he just like resorts to like violence because it seems like he's that kind of guy who like, can't get hard unless he's like yeah. being rough and like hurting a woman and right. holding them down and like that's when you like oh fuck he's a bad person yeah. like because it's not like she was saying like no no and he's like well I want it anyway she was like yeah yeah I'll give it to you and he's like well I only want it one way mm-hmm. you know and I was like oh you're fucking gross yeah. like you know what I mean like, absolutely and side note can we talk about how lame her backup was she had to <laughs> whistle like 10 times before they showed up <laughs> yo I totally I've always pictured that just the 70s shit of just like she probably like thought up this whole sting operation and then all her like male co-workers are probably just like this fucking broad like who gives a shit like they're probably just like sitting in the cab like telling jokes and then they're probably like what is she whistling all right I guess let's go do this like like, you know what I mean like like just not treating rape as a big deal or anything just being like hey it's a broad like like that's how I pictured it like it was just classic 70s misogynism uh that actually I yeah I'm going to go on board uh, with that. That's hilarious. Cool. Um, is it my turn? Yeah. That was my last one, by the way. Oh. Best worst line in the movie. Oh. And I have like five bests. <laughs> Man, the tables have turned. So I think for me, of all the lines, I just have to go with the classic. Can you dig is this the 10th time we're hearing this in the podcast? But, <laughs> <laughs> but some classic runners up. I love pretty much anything Cyrus says is great. I love his, the, the turf thing I said before, a little bit of turf. Can you count suckers is amazing. I love the last line of the movie. You warriors are good. <laughs> Real good. <laughs> The best. Oh, so good. That was pretty good. And then, and then the, my most quoted line, though, of all of them is, Who are the warriors? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know my worst line. And it's it's so good. It's just so funny. It's uh, when Luther, at the very end, when the rifts show up and they realize that Luther was the one who uh, who shot the, the warriors. Yeah. And he goes, No. It wasn't us. It was them. <laughs> the way he holds the M. Oh, I love it. I, mean, I say it all the time. No. It wasn't us. It was them. The warriors. <laughs> yeah, them. he talks weird. But, like, it works. Yeah. Man. You can steal one of my best. I just listed, like, seven of them. Yeah. I guess the warriors. Oh, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, that's up there. <laughs> yes. All right. You can have that one. Cool. So that's a best. And then the worst. I, I, I'm drawing a blank here. 
<laughs> Fair enough. Sorry. Um, Man, it's hard. I should have. I should have. Okay, like... yeah, I'll, I'll give you one. Okay. I do think they had Ajax use the word wimp way too many times. He uh, calls people a wimp like 19 times. Like, and I'm just like, think of a new word, guys. Yeah. Like, these fucking wimps. What a wimp. Uh, can I just take a quick side note? I know we're doing best worst, but I love all the slang in this movie. And I don't know if this movie made up this slang, but I love that fighting is called bopping. And I like that anyone who fights are called boppers. Like, <laughs> I love it. I just like, we bopped our way downtown. And the DJ would be like, all right, boppers, let's go do this thing. Yeah, that's Like, cool. I love that. And just like the weird ways they talk. Like, like when they, they they run away from the first the Turnbull ACs and they're like, Man, those are some bad mother dudes And I was like, yeah. Oh, those are mother dudes <laughs> And like and what the shit is going on? It's like, oh, it's so good. I wonder if that's from the book. I, I think you should read the book and see if I you... might I don't think it is because from all accounts the book has no levity at all. It's fucking dark. Like mm. So after just to give you a little taste, which is not gonna make you happy, after the scene with the orphans, when they, they run away and, and Mercy's with them. They're walking down the street, they just see a random guy walking for no reason, and they just say, hey, fuck it, and they just murder that guy. Oh. And they, they jump on him, and they all continuously just keep stabbing him over and over and over again. And then they take... And all the characters have different names, too, so it's not Mercy. Like, like not a single name translates from the book to the thing, but I'll just use their movie names. They basically take Mercy, and then they do run train on her, mm. but they make her lay on the dead body of the guy they just... Killed. What the hell? I know, it's just like depraved for no fucking reason. I didn't read it yet, so... Don't read it. There might be... There <laughs> just might, off that alone. Yeah. It's because he really wanted to be like, look how awful... And like the, the movie, the book ends with like the character Swan returning home and his mom is like banging her boyfriend while his while his like baby brother is like crying hungry in the crib because they're ignoring the baby and then he like sits on his fire escape and cries and then the book ends. I feel like this is so reverse on how things like this usually go. Like usually the book is sincere and like this isn't about this isn't about gangs and preaching yeah. to them or whatever and then Hollywood's like, We're gonna make it that Yeah, we need to have a message. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. And I feel like this got flipped. Yeah, so I don't know. Walter Hill just wasn't interested in any of that. And then the irony is the Warriors is actually way more closely based on the Greek myth than this book is. Because the Greek myth is truly just about this journey. It's right. not about anything outside. It's not about politics. It's not about changing the world. It's about can these people survive this environment. Right. So I think the movie is just... I haven't read the book, but I think it's way better. Oof. All right. Sorry. I, we'll keep that there. All right. Even though it's we not went business. a little beyond there, but should we go beyond the credits? All right. So do you want to go first? Uh, yeah, I'll go first. I mean, I definitely think life goes pretty like back to normal right away for the warriors like in terms of stuff you know they're they're gonna slowly learn about who they lost on the thing and it'll be sad but i think it'll go back to normal but i do think i i, I like to think kind of grand where i do want like like to hope that cyrus's like message did kind of live on mm -hmm. and i could almost see like swan almost like somehow working his way up to being the next Cyrus type leader. And he might not have the same plan. Like he might not want to take down all the cops or anything, but I can see kind of Swan just based on his like unwavering morals and his ability to lead. Cause like he, he's kind of the one warrior who has like a true arc in the movie. I feel like he could almost somehow through reputation and years of like community building that he could become as big of a figure as Cyrus was. Yeah. So that's kind of how I think. And then I think him and Mercy stay together. Mm, yeah, I do too. Or completely differently, like the end of the movie, they end up leaving New York and traveling to get away from the whole gang lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So I, I just give two, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. So I didn't know the fact that you said 
before, like, I didn't catch on that gangs were only sending eight members, because for some reason, visually, at the top, it looked like all the other gangs yeah. were much larger than well, the Warriors were. It was nine, were. but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I thought, beyond the credits, that the Warriors actually grow in numbers, uh-huh. just because, like, people, like, hear about the Warriors and they want to join their gang, so, like, and then they somehow become a threatening gang to the Orlando Jones the arm. Riff. Yeah. okay it's only because in drumline he wears those aviator glasses and he like stands and he's so stoic and this guy kind of like looks like that so that's why i'm calling him orlando jones section leaders what is our concept one band one sound one band one sound anyway i just feel like there's some tensions that come up between those two gangs because the warriors kind of threaten their like dominance um, I think we could mix both of our plots together. Yeah. Like, like the Warriors grows bigger because of this, and then they end up doing the rips, and then Swan becomes yeah. the de facto Cyrus. In my Beyond the Credits 2, I saw Swan and Mercy staying together. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think that, I think that worked. I also thought... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just saw this additional line. I, word for word, wrote down, Warriors become Professor X school... For gangs. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I'm sold. You used all the right words to sell me. <laughs> of course. Oh, and I also wrote, Luther reminds me of, put him in a body bag. Oh, yeah. He's like that guy. <laughs> um, all right. So before like we wrap this up, I wanted to just quickly touch on the 2015 like reunion they did. Okay. Um, it's all up on YouTube. It's pretty cool. Not every single one of the Warriors, but I think it was like Swan, Fox... Cochise, Snow, and Cleon, they all, like, donned their, uh, their warrior's gear, and then they went to the Bronx and took the train down from the Bronx down to Coney Island, and then, uh, at Coney Island was, like, a whole Warrior's Day festival where fans were everywhere, and, um... I'm so sad you didn't go to that. I know, that would have been really cool. And then they're, like, uh, in the YouTube videos and stuff, they show how, like, they don't call themselves gangs, they call them social clubs, but a lot of, like, real-life, like, social clubs were born. Like, there are, like, real-life warrior groups you could join in in Coney Island, and they interview some of them, and they were talking about how they wanted to pop up as, like, a social group that could be an alternative for youth to join them instead of joining real gangs. And, like, kind of just, like, celebrate the fun of this kind of stuff. You know what I mean? That's and awesome. And so there is, like, a real-life warriors out there that dress, like, in their in their, in their thing and everything. I'm getting you a vest. That'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's really cool. So, yeah, that's all up on YouTube, and it's totally worth watching. If you could meet any of, anyone part of the warriors in person, like, from the creators to the actors, like, who would be your number one choice? Mm. I mean, honestly, I think I would just love to pick Walter Hill's brain, the director. Like I said, he did pass away, but, like, before that. Like, yeah. He just seemed like a really cool guy. He's made he's made all the, some good movies. Like, have you ever seen 48 Hours with Eddie Murphy and Nick oh. Nolte? Cool. He wrote and directed that in the sequel. Done some other stuff. He actually, And he actually produced Alien. He uh, His company was the one who found the script. He passed on directing it, and then, like, they ended up hiring Ridley Scott, and it became oh, Alien. Oh, wow. Like, you know what I mean? Like, That's awesome. Andy so, yeah. Facts. He's, uh, he's pretty great. But, all right, so... <laughs> We just dumped so much of our own opinions, our facts we found, and all sorts of stuff. But we didn't ask one question. And the only question I have left, Masha, is do you love what I love? I love it. I love it. So. <laughs> all right.
<laughs> I understand 100% why you love this movie. Mm-hmm. It's pretty fantastic from the story to the execution. It's flawless. Um, I'm very happy that you showed me the director's cut. I actually don't think I ever, if I were to ever rewatch this movie, that I want to watch the original version. Just because I love the comic element. Yeah. And, like, everything that you mentioned that's in this cut, I can't imagine it without it. Yeah. This is the one I saw first, but when I did eventually watch the other one, I was just like, it's good, but... (laughs) And again, like, I, I mean, I explained it earlier on the top of the show, but, like, I'm usually not into that. This is the one case. Like, I hate that my Terminator 2 DVD has all the deleted scenes put in the movie, and I can't watch regular Terminator 2. Uh, it's fucking a nightmare. That's annoying. Because they're cool deleted scenes, but they don't make the movie better. This yeah. is the one scenario where I think it makes the movie better. Yeah. Well, I understand how influential this movie was and is, and how awesome it is. I think I like it more than I love it. That's fair. I think I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's like me with Cinderella. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, it's I, I don't I don't think I'm going to like come home from work and you have like a, a day off and you're going to be watching the Warriors alone. Like I just yeah. don't see that happening. Oh my god. I had to take like deep breaths to get back to like my, get my heart rate back to normal <laughs> during this movie. I mean, it was great. It made me feel something, which I think is the purpose of, you yeah. know, like should be the purpose of your movie to make you think and to make you feel. And it did both of those things. I just don't think, like like you said, I'm not going to rewatch it and like be as passionate as you. But I really do appreciate the movie. And I'm glad that you had me watch it. Oh, that's so awesome. I'm so glad that you had that effect. I was a little worried. I've had shown it to people in the past who didn't grow up with it. And they're just like, it's slow moving. It's not it's, slow moving. I know. It's, it's so beautifully paced. But just like, you know, you watch action now and it's so... Just editing today is so intense. We cut a thousand fucking times for every movement. And like, especially in the Baseball Fury scene, I was like, you know how many times these cameras just all the way in the back of the park and we just see them run like from left to right two times? Yeah. And like, it makes you tired because you know that they're not stopping to redo a new shot. Yeah. And it also makes it realistic. This just puts you in the world and in their shoes. I don't know. Yeah. I felt tired as well. It is so friggin' fantastic. But yeah, that's how I feel. And um, like I said, I'm very happy that you brought it up and that you love it. Because if you didn't love it, I wouldn't have watched it. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> All right, everyone. Well, that is our show. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed our podcast, be sure to subscribe and tell a friend. Also, if you have the time, take a moment to rate and review. Every bit helps. I'm Andy. And I'm Masha. And I hope you love what I love.